This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers, adult language, and mature themes. Listener discretion is advised. There has been an awakening. Have you felt it? Before the dark times, before the Empire, an 11-year-old child named Jeffrey Jacob Abrams watched a movie called Star Wars, Episode Four: A New Hope, and he dreamed of becoming a director, dreaming to mold the franchise and create new Star Wars movies in his own vision. His first two attempts, Star Trek 2009 and Into Darkness, brought energy and critical acclaim to that franchise, but ended up dividing the fan base. Now, after 32 years, we finally have a sequel to Return of the Jedi. Is third time's a charm for J.J., or does he strike out? Stay tuned to find out. This is a podcast of Rare Antiquities, Episode 12. I'm your host, Harry. You know what I've come for. I'll show you the dark side. I am your co-host, Jeff. Are we really doing this? And I am Nathan. All teams, give it everything you got! I'm Andrew. Don't use force. That's not how the force works. You're a monster. It's just us now. Han Solo can't save you. This is it. We waited three years since the announcement, 32 years since Return of the Jedi, and it's finally here. It arrived. So before we get into this movie, I just wanted to ask you, how is your anticipation and excitement level for all of you over the past three years and lead up to the movie, including the day of the movie? You know, who wants to go first? How about Jeff? You just start us off. Yeah, anticipation level was very, very high leading up to this movie. I mean, I remember the announcement uh, three years ago. I was excited then, but, you know, once it started coming together uh, with the original cast being included, got bigger and bigger. Uh, and I'll tell you, like, right up until the the moments leading up to when the lights went down in that theater, uh, yeah, the anticipation was extraordinarily high. You know, I was on pins and needles the whole time leading up to it. It was uh, it was a neat experience. The anticipation was uh, was, you know, part of the fun. How about in comparison to the prequel trilogy? Like, I think nothing will beat the anticipation of the phantom menace because that was the longest gap between return of the jedi and another star wars movie but in comparison to say any of the prequel trilogy movies what was your anticipation or excitement level compared to those hard to say i mean yeah the anticipation leading up to phantom menace was pretty high but at the same time you know we always knew that we were going to get the prequels right so the sequels i mean this was never supposed to happen so you know, that really added to it because it was so unexpected. I think my anticipation was a little bit higher, even this time, than compared to The Phantom Menace. Well, bull statement. Okay, so Nathan, how about yourself? Well, I think when this was first announced, I was very excited. And then I think part, intentionally, I made myself less excited because, you know, I'd been burned before the prequels. So I, I tried to stay cautiously optimistic. But I think the last few months. I don't really think I have felt this way, like this sort of anticipation the movie for a very long time. But also there's a a, a lot of anxiety past a few few years because I I did feel burned by Into Darkness. So I'm like, oh, I oh, is JJ. I think he's the right guy. But, you know, can he pull it off? 
I don't know if I was more excited for this than Phantom Menace. I think Phantom Menace was still my peak for Star Wars or even movie anticipation ever. Yeah, I would say so. So how about the day of, though? Like how Jeff was saying he was on pins and needles. Were you like, could you concentrate on anything else or was it just, yeah, whole hum? Yeah, you know, what's weird is uh, I'm usually pretty good about remembering details of a movie just after I've seen it. But this, I have a real tough time (laughs) remembering what was going on because it was so exciting to see. I was also kind of mad at myself for drinking so much beer because I did have to run to the the can. I think about 30 minutes in, I was kind of upset about that. But I couldn't, I, I had butterflies in my stomach as I was watching the movie. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> All right, Andrew, how about yourself? I'm actually going to take Jeff's side on this one. I think. Is there any other time you don't take Jeff's side? That's what I just want to know. So Uh, far, your appearances here, it's like, I agree with Jeff. I agree with Jeff. Well, I'm just going with proven track record, Harry. (laughs) You tend to go for uh, the same and the logical uh, (laughs) No, I, I, I think. For me, the difference was that like there was two elements. One was that like I wasn't as much into Star Wars when Phantom Menace came out as I am now. But for me, the reason why this was so much higher in terms of anticipation was this was a completely new story post Return of the Jedi. We had no idea what was going to happen with Phantom Menace. Like certain characters that showed up, you knew that there was no danger element. Like for example, with Obi Wan Kenobi, like you knew they weren't going to kill him off in Phantom Menace. But with this one, like anything goes and. At first, when it was announced, I was really skeptical. Like, granted, it was handed over to Disney. Disney's done such a great job with the Marvel franchise. But still, after the prequels, you feel a little bit jaded. But when the first trailer hit, that's when everything just clicked on. Like, oh, my God, this is happening. And oh, my God, this looks like it's going to be amazing. But it didn't really kick in until right as I got to the theater and we were all in line with other Star Wars nerds. I got there a couple hours early. I actually missed my old group's holiday dinner in order for me to go and line up to this movie. And so I missed prime rib dinner that I actually organized myself because I wanted to make sure that we had the best seats possible. Oh, nice. Yeah, I'm kind of like Nathan on this one. I kind of intentionally made myself less excited. Andrew, as you mentioned, you know, jaded from the prequels. There's a bit of that, but I wasn't really worried about the prequels. Again, JJ's track record. Ever since he was announced as the director, I've had my, you know, reservations that he could pull this off. I, I technically he's proficient, as he's shown in his other movies. It's, you know, the heart and the characters. In terms of the story, I think he could definitely bring out from before, he could bring out a performance just whether that was really the intention of that franchise or is he going to be modernize it and be a little bit more hip to drag in the modern audience and then we have disney's agenda here too they're trying to get a brand new generation of fans interested in star wars so who's the target audience for this that's the question can they find that right balance so i had and i also knew some spoilers going in i didn't know everything what i did know came true so that was slightly disappointing in terms of what I did know, but um, my fault for being on the internet and going to a couple of sites where there was a risk there of knowing those things. But I just wanted to say one thing, Jeff and Nathan, because we saw this together. We did not line up for this. We went to IMAX and we got reserved seating. And while it's December and cold where we live, so we appreciate that, not lining up removes some of that anticipation and excitement. Do you guys agree? Lining up is for suckers. I partly agree, but you know, you kind of do reach an age. I remember when Jeff said, do you want to go see this opening night? And I thought, I don't know if I can do a midnight show. I just don't know if my body can handle it anymore. I I probably would have swung it for Star Wars if that was the case, but I just can't do 
lining up. If that removes some of the excitement, so be it. I don't know if I remember all my lining up experiences in the past. Oh, I do. Phantom Menace was just, even all three. We well, that I remember all- because I slept outside, but I, I don't know <laughs> if just lining up to watch the movie itself. I don't know if I have warm memories of that necessarily. I'm of the opinion that lining up brings a different experience. And I think for it's just like a concert, like this is a big event movie and there's a challenge. There's that rite of passage of lining up that I really appreciate. And I miss this time. Even though I was glad, as I said, it was bloody cold outside. We're talking about minus 15, minus 20 outside. I didn't want to line up, but just the fact that we did not removed some of that excitement for me. And this did not equal any of my excitement levels in terms of of the day of in comparison to the prequel trilogy or the special editions. But that's just me. I'm going to take Nathan's side on this one. I know you're going to take Nathan's side, Andrew. (laughs) Well, no, it's it's like after lining up and I'll send the pictures to you guys of like, oh, my gosh, we were here two and a half hours early after they allowed the first group of people into the movie theater. It was maybe a sixth full. And then up until like 20 minutes before the movie started for the midnight showing, it may have got to about a quarter full. Like it was a fairly empty theater. And so I'm also like, I just missed a primary dinner in order to line up for something that I didn't really need to line up for. And then I went last night and there was barely anyone in the theaters. Like, are you kidding me? That's probably because like, you know, it's like unheard of number of screens that they've put this to, right? Oh, it's it's amazing how many screens are up, but it's just, it's different. And after you guys told me that you guys have got reserved seating, I actually went online to try and change my tickets to find a reserved seating theater so I didn't have to line up because I wanted to go eat prime rib. So anyone who's listening, I can vouch that these are Star Wars fans. I don't know what's coming out of their (laughs) mouth right now, but you guys shocking me. Jeff, how about yourself? You missed the lining up here. Why don't you chime in? Yeah, uh, shockingly, uh, Harry, I will agree with you not doing the marathon lineup does rob it of some of the excitement. There's no question. It's not the same experience. So I think you're absolutely right there. That being said, I don't know that I can do that anymore. It's just knowing that reserve seats are a thing that you can do the weary old bones now. It's hard to not go for the reserve seating. But yeah, it's not the same experience. There's no question. Ah. Uh. Yeah, yeah, it's not the same experience, but you're weary old bones. What's going on, man? I would do this in a heartbeat if it came uh, down to it, me. I'll tell you this. If there was no option, if there were no reserve seats and I had to line up, I would have lined up all day. Okay, well, outside. good. Otherwise, this podcast is over yeah, right now. Would have done it. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so episode seven, The Force Awakens. Some 30-odd years after the events of Return of the Jedi, Luke Skywalker has disappeared. In his absence, the First Order, which seems to be an offshoot from the remains of the Fallen Empire, have risen and are now spread out in the galaxy and aim to destroy the Republic, but they also want to find and destroy Luke. The Resistance, led by Leia Organa, also wants to find Luke, so they send their best pilot, Poe Dameron, to the planet Jakku. Poe meets Lor Santeca, who provides Poe a map to Luke. However, the First Order arrives and their leader, Kylo Ren, kills Santeca and captures Poe. However, Poe has placed the map inside the droid BB-8, and the droid escapes capture. BB-8 eventually meets up with Rey, a local scavenger on Jakku. Rey and BB-8 then encounter Finn, a stormtrooper who defected from the First Order. Finn helped Poe Dameron escape from the First Order, and their TIE fighter crashed on Jakku. Finn tells BB-8 that Poe died in the escape. However, before escaping... Kylo Ren tortures Poe and now realizes that BB-8 has the map, so the First Order starts chasing them. Rey, Finn, and BB-8 stumble upon the Millennium Falcon. 
which seemingly seems to be not flown in years and is in a junkyard of sorts. Ray pilots the Falcon with great skill and escapes the First Order, but soon they are tractor beamed into a space freighter, which is owned by none other than Han Solo and Chewbacca. Han takes back the Falcon and tells Ray and Finn that Luke disappeared because his apprentice, Kylo Ren, betrayed him and killed the rest of his Jedi Order. Luke went away after, some thinking he went looking for the first Jedi Temple. Not long after, Han's freighter is boarded by two separate groups of space pirates. After some hijinks, Han and company escape on the Millennium Falcon, and the pirates alert the First Order. Meanwhile, at the First Order's Starkiller base, Supreme Leader Snoke tells Kylo Ren he has to deal with his father Han Solo if he is to overcome his struggle with the light. Snoke also orders General Hux to use the Starkiller base to destroy a nearby star system. The Falcon crew then arrive at planet Takodana and meet Maz Kanata at her bar so she can send BBA to the Resistance. Rey is suddenly drawn to her room in the basement where she finds Anakin and Luke's lightsaber and she experiences a vision. Disturbed, she runs away despite Maz's insistence she take the lightsaber and find Luke himself. Meanwhile, the First Order attacks Maz's bar and Kylo Ren kidnaps Rey and leaves as he senses she has seen the map and he can get the information out of her instead of locating the droid. Han, Chewie, Finn, and BB-8 meet Leia as the Resistance arrives and they drive off the First Order. Poe is seen leading the charge. They all head back to the Resistance base afterwards. At the base... They plan their attack on Starkiller Base. C-3PO explains R2 may have the other pieces of the incomplete map to Luke, but he has been in power-saving mode since Luke has left. Finn informs the Resistance that he can lower the planetary shield so the X-Wings can attack another weak point and destroy the base. Meanwhile, Kylo Ren attempts to torture Rey, but she resists him. Ren is startled and leaves, and then Rey uses a Jedi mind trick over a stormtrooper to escape. Han, Chewie, and Finn sneak onto the base and deactivate the shield. The Resistance, again led by Poe Dameron, arrive in a squadron of X-Wings to destroy the base. Han and company want to help, and as they start to deploy explosives in the base, Han sees Kylo Ren, and he confronts his son. After pleading with him to go home, Kylo then stabs Han with his lightsaber, killing him. Chewie then shoots Kylo Ren, injuring him. Rey and Finn confront Kylo outside the base, and they fight. Finn seems to hold his own against Kylo Ren in a lightsaber fight, but Kylo eventually injures Finn. Rey then fights Kylo, and after letting in the Force, she defeats him. They are separated by a fracture in the ground, as Poe has started a chain reaction that is destroying the base. Rey grabs the unconscious Finn, and they escape on the Falcon with Chewie. As they arrive back at the Resistance base, Leia consoles Rey. Suddenly, R2-D2 wakes up and provides the rest of the map to Rey. With the map now complete, Rey, Chewie, and R2 leave and arrive at an unknown planet. There, Ray finds Luke Skywalker, and the credits roll. So, sorry, Harry, did you write that whole thing just from memory? Because that was pretty good. Well, I've seen the movie twice, <laughs> so I also... <laughs> wait, I wait, what do you mean twice? It's only been out like four days. <laughs> yeah, I saw it twice. <laughs> well, I went to Wikipedia and got the plot summary. That helped, so... Oh, okay. So, let's just go right into the opening of the movie. In order to just combine some scenes together, let's group some shots. So, let's talk about the crawl, the first shots, you know... We get to see Poe meet this villager who's Lor Santeca. He's played by Max von Sydow. You see him giving the map or a piece of the map to BB-8 and then the First Order attacks. We get our first glimpses of Kylo Ren. So let's talk about these opening scenes here. Andrew, how about we start with you first? As soon as the crawl hit, like the very first line, Luke Skywalker is missing. I'm like, oh boy. It really set the tone for the rest of the movie. But what I was most nervous about was how they actually started it, given how with the prequel trilogies, I, I'm going to go back to them completely disappointing us. Phantom Menace is like, oh boy, look, it's a blockade. 
But the first sequence, when you see the new Star Destroyer, whatever it's called, and the ship's coming out, and the style you notice immediately is incredibly different. It brought me in right away. I was totally hooked from that moment on. It's like you see the edge of the Star Destroyer, and it's coming up across the planet. It was mesmerizing. That's I'm, I'm just still... I'm probably going to be like in awe of this entire podcast. <laughs> so how about when they get down to the village? He's, you have Poe meeting this uh, character, Lor Santeca, and the map to BB-8 and First Order attacks. What are your thoughts about those scenes? Uh, well, definitely the sequence when he gives BB-8 the fragment of the map. I chuckled. I'm like, oh, I bet you we're going to see a lot of similarities between this and A New Hope. Not disappointed, but I'm like, OK, this kind of set the tone. But just the interactions, the characters themselves, Poe Dameron was one of my favorites, if not my most favorite character from this movie. And you can see like just the acting itself from those opening sequences was so much better than I would say even most, if not like Empire, I think is in a caliber of its own. But this was the best acting we've seen in Star Wars in a long time. Okay, Nathan, how about yourself? Yeah, style-wise, it feels Star Wars while at the same time being a bit of a departure seeing the silhouette there across like i guess like a planetary the moon or the sky or whatever it was you know matches you know how star wars movies open after the crawl you have a space shot and a ship but it was more modern looking the one thing i really liked in this entire opening sequence and this kind of plays out actually through the rest of the movie the stormtroopers feel like a real fighting force in a way that they didn't feel in the original trilogy I think that might have had to do with, you know, now there's actors in that type of role. There is a little bit more of a, like a, I think they sometimes have military advisors and stuff like that for military type roles. So they felt more competent, more deadly, even though they still play the role of cannon fodder a lot of the times. And one thing that I thought was really neat was that immediately Kylo Ren feels like a real threat and also very powerful. I, I especially liked the shot where he was able to trap a blaster bolt sort of in midair, like almost like manipulating time in a way, I thought. I thought that was a really neat extension of force powers just to make him seem different and more powerful than what we've seen in the past. Hmm. Jeff, how about yourself? Yeah, I'll, I'll start with the opening crawl, uh, just my feelings on it, because the plot had been shrouded in secrecy, I did not indulge in any spoilers at all, so I, I definitely went in blind. And reading the opening crawl, I actually felt this sense of like relief. Like I know what's happening now. Like now I can, you know, I, I understand what the setup is, and I really enjoyed the setup. You know, Luke Skywalker's disappeared. I thought that was a really interesting idea. And then you know the opening shots of the movie. I, I was same as Andrew. I was drawn in right away. I thought it was an excellent opening fast the use of obviously we're going to be talking about this quite a bit i won't say i was worried because i think i knew just from my head scanned lightly one review prior to seeing it and knowing that you know this movie relied structurally on a lot of the uh, notes in a new hope and we see the first of that with bb8 getting the the plans from poe dameron there so and even the introduction of kylo ren echoes the introduction of darth vader in a new hope so we see the first signs of that here. So I, I wasn't worried about that because I kind of expected that and I was willing to go along with it. And same as Nathan, I loved Kylo's use of the force there. We, these are new force powers we hadn't seen where he freezes the blaster bolt in midair and freezes, you know, an individual just holding them steady. I thought that was a really cool power. I thought that was great. And he really seemed like a threat right away. You know, even though we've got the black clad masked figure, I didn't feel like we were just seeing another Darth Vader here. He was uh, maybe more akin to Darth Maul 
menace factor, you know, with the body language, less of a, well, more of a physical type of threat. So I thought I, I had to like kind of unclench my fists after the opening because <laughs> I was so like, I was tense through it. I was like, shit, I got to chill out here. Got a whole movie to go. I'm going to have a heart attack. I don't relax. <laughs> So I was pleased through the first few minutes. Well, that's good. Yeah, likewise, I was very pleased for these opening scenes. I'm surprised none of you guys have mentioned it, even though we already knew. I missed the 20th century Fox fanfare yes. at the beginning. Oh, so, I was kind of worried about that, actually, that it would be like a jarring, oh, we're going to see a big bad robot logo come up. I'm the, so the, thankful we got no bad robot. Yeah, even yeah, Disney. Yeah. I'm surprised we didn't get a Disney logo opening as well Just what, it wouldn't have felt right and i think they knew that yeah it was like something was definitely missing without the fanfare what did strike me though and considering this is jj abrams i was quite shocked when star wars first hit the screen like the words it felt softer mm. i don't know if you guys noticed that and i know i said both times it wasn't as loud or as sharp it almost felt more like the clone i don't know if you guys have seen the clone wars cartoon and how it just kind of starts. And it was, even though it was the same music as the other movies, it felt softer. It was an interesting choice by John Williams there. Surprised JJ wanted that knowing him, but interesting. But as you guys have mentioned, I love the Star Destroyer blocking out the moon. Such a great special effects shot there. Again, shows the menace. It's something different. And I loved the landing shots of yeah. shuttles. Even when you see Poe looking through his binoculars, you see that it looks so real. So an amazing special effect done by J.J. Abrams and his crew. I did want to mention something. I laughed and I was laughed and I got a little angry. Did you guys notice what the first words of the movie are? So that Laura Santeca guy says, this will make things right. <laughs> was this a shot? George Lucas and the prequel trilogy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I kinda, shit. Yeah. No, I did not. No. Don't it, Lucas. What are, what, are your, what are your quick thoughts on this uh, gentleman? So, Jeff, you go first this time. Is uh, that yeah, a shot? You know what? I think it is uh, a veiled shot at George at the entire prequel trilogy. I actually did notice it at the time, but I hadn't thought about it till now when you, when you said it. Yeah, maybe a little a touch disrespectful, but... Yeah, I thought so, too. I was a yeah. bit taken aback and surprised. Because they would know, even if that wasn't their intention in writing it, they would know they would that know. people, they would know what people would interpret it that way. Yeah. That's a bit unfair, especially, you know, Disney saying he's also a shareholder. So just even on that respect, I mean, this is JJ and Lawrence Kasdan, who, in my opinion, wrote this just despite Lucas. That's my opinion. Kills two birds with one stone. It's like, here's a shot at Lucas. And we're also telling the fans, guys, forget the prequel trilogy. We're going to do it better. Yeah, when you're making a movie like this, you serve many masters. I mean, obviously Disney is one of them, but the rabid fan base, you know, you got to throw them a, a bone a little bit. So, I mean, it, yeah, it's maybe a, a, you know, a veiled insult, but I have to wonder if George Lucas has enough nuance in his body to even pick it up anyway. I know we all make fun of him in the prequel trilogy and stuff like that, but he's a smart cat. Well, if he's listening to this podcast, which you know he's one of our followers, <laughs> he's going to find out pretty soon that that was a shot at him. So, Andrew, you agree? Knowing that I, now? I actually, I'm not sure if it necessarily was intentional. If it was, good on them. <laughs> <laughs> you can't not say great things about what George Lucas did for the original trilogy. But what he did when it came to the prequels and just how it really set Star Wars back. And when you look at those prequel movies and like I was having a discussion with people today and they're like, well, what's the next steps for Star Wars? And one of the topics is like, well, they'll probably do another trilogy, but will they go back and like redo the prequels? I think they should. 
because they're a travesty. Like to what we know of Star Wars and the quality that should be a Star Wars movies. Yeah, this is going back to what people want to see, what Star Wars is all about. Okay, we'll, we'll get into that. I find it curious. I'm interested to hear what you have to say later. I love that we talked about the prequels for four hours and we still have stuff to say about yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, anyways, no more prequel talk right now, even though I have a couple more points. But I also wanted to point out, I'm surprised any of you guys mentioned this, we get blood. Did you guys, obviously you guys noticed that when, and we yeah. didn't really talk about Finn and seeing his struggles here as a stormtrooper, he's battling his morality, seeing these villagers about to be executed. I like these scenes. I like that performance by uh, John Boyega here, even though you don't get to see his face at this moment. But I love that he was actually went to aid one of his fallen stormtroopers and the stormtrooper puts blood, you know, in his dying, he touches his helmet and then there's blood coming off and stains his helmet. And that's, that's definitely a visual. It's striking right off the bat. I had forgotten about that, but I think like Harry, you really touch on a good point where I think in, in these opening shots, I think actually we've all sort of mentioned it. It is a real departure from previous star Wars imagery. So it, it still feels Star Wars, but it is more modern in a way. Any other movie wouldn't care about blood, but what they're establishing here is just the modernness of this new tale. And like you guys mentioned, I also agree. I like the uh, the new force power of freezing the blaster bolts. I, I like the real sets here. The one thing that I didn't like, Andrew, is even though I enjoyed Poe Dameron later, I hated him in these opening scenes. I didn't like that dialogue. I know they're trying to inject some humor right off the bat and showing that this guy's a cocky SOB like Han Solo. But I didn't like those first things. Okay, do you talk or do I talk or who's goes first? And oh, I, I can't understand what you're saying and all that mask stuff. I, I don't know. Did you guys enjoy that humor? Did you feel it was a little out of place, a little forced? It did feel a little out of place to me. It felt like a like a Joss Whedon line, that whole exchange there. I, I mean, it felt a little out of place. I didn't have a problem with him saying something cocky in the opening there because obviously we want to establish his character i'm mixed on it because it didn't it did feel out of place in a star wars film yes it did and i completely agree i think they could have done something different here different choice of verbiage to get the same thing across maybe so you're analyzing it correctly in that it feels out of what we know of the star wars universe to this day but i think it also opens up like this is going to be a very different star wars movie from what we're used to so while it is different and unusual at first, it is something that you see as a constant theme in this movie. Like there's a lot more humor in this than I think any of the other Star Wars movies, but it's a nice blend between the action, the dramatic sequences and the, and the humor. So while it was a little like, oh, whoa, that doesn't happen in Star Wars, it basically also helps tell the audience this is not the Star Wars you're used to. Yes. Nathan, yourself. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, I couldn't really put my finger on it till right now when Jeff said it was like a Joss Whedon line. And that's exactly the way it came across. And again, this is more of trying to make, I, I think anyways, it's it's trying to make Star Wars more modern with more modern cadence. I'm kind of undecided on whether or not it fits. If I watch it enough, then it'll just fit after a while, you know, just kind of like how you know, the the prequels, you just watch it enough and it's Star Wars after a while, <laughs> no matter how you feel about it, right? So it did feel a bit weird when I watched it at the time, but like I sort of understood what they're kind of going for with this character. So I don't think it's a huge misstep, but probably could have been played out a little bit better. 
Yeah, I mean, we could talk about that because this is something that will keep coming back in terms of what Andrew said is the humor injected into the story quite a bit. So let's move on in terms of the plot. Now we are introduced to Ray and Finn. As Finn boards the Star Destroyer, he's struggling with his conscience and morality, and he rescues Poe. And then we also parallel on the on the surface of the, the Jakku planet. We see Ray. She meets BB-8. We see what life is like for her. So what did you think about these scenes and these characters and how they meet? Again, we're going to talk about a bunch of scenes together just so we can save time. So we're talking about BB-8 meeting Ray, Finn meeting Poe and their escape off the Star Destroyer. Finn finally meeting Ray and BB-8. What did you think about all of these scenes where the characters are introduced to each other and the plot devices that were going on here? So, uh, Jeff, how about we start with you first this time? Well, first I'll say, I mean, I love John Boyega. I love watching him. He has a very intense way about him. I mean, we saw hints of that in the trailers uh, where we, uh, you know, we get tied on on his face there. And he's, uh, you know, very emotive. I, I loved it. And we get you know, sort of the first intimations of what Star Wars is largely about, which is the conflict. And in Star Wars, and we talk a lot about the conflict between good and evil, which we should, because obviously that's front and center. But I found as well, it was also about the conflict within between not just good and evil, but are you going to do what you know is right or not? You know, are you going to take action even when it's the, if it's the the more difficult path, or are you going to take the easy path? And I loved watching that play out with Finn. You know, obviously he's been raised as a stormtrooper, and and he's uh, and as you mentioned, Harry, we saw on the planet as he struggled. We see the start of the struggle, and then uh, it all it all boils over, and he executes this uh, sort of harebrained escape plan, springing of the of the prisoner. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. I was in, I was in love with this guy right away, and I thought he was good. So as he meets Poe Dameron there, and they and they make their escape, uh, they have instant chemistry. And I felt a little bit more at peace with uh, some of the dialogue. Again, I think it's not traditionally Star Wars. Uh, you know, it, obviously they're trying to harken back to the witty banter between Luke and Han in the original trilogy. So it smacks of that. You know, some more modern dialogue cadence, as Nathan said. Now the meeting up of you know BB-8 and Ray, I liked her instantly as well. She sort of had a very athletic way about her. You know, she looks a little bit too, you know, fair-skinned, perhaps for a desert scavenger. You know, she might be a little <laughs> bit more weathered. You saw her building that thing next to somebody who definitely seemed weathered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously she's young, so you yeah. know, time will dig into her a bit. And and obviously they're trying to call back a bit to the look of Mark Hamill in episode four, a real, the look of innocence is on her face in much the same way. So that's what they were going for. Uh, oh, really? As, that's what I assumed, yeah. Just kidding. I totally <laughs> thought that too. Yeah. And then as, you know, Finn meets up with BB and with Ray, I think again, we get into, I don't want to say necessarily a problem with the story, because at this point, as I mentioned in the last two episodes, I've already bought into the idea that because of the existence of the force and destiny is a real thing that can explain sort of these wild coincidences of how these characters can meet up. So I agree. In terms of the characters running into each other, 100% agree. I'll get into a couple of things where it just seemed a little a little too coincidental, but in terms of all these characters meeting up, 100% agree. No different than the original trilogy or yeah. even the prequel trilogy. And that's what we're getting into when we're talking about Star Wars. So I'm okay with it at that point. But, you know, we've had good scenes with each of our three main heroes here, four if you count 
BB-8, and I think we have to count BB-8 because oh, you have I, to. Yeah, I am so relieved at this point because I absolutely loved every single protagonist here. I was I'm like, these guys are so far are great. Again, the sense of relief I felt at, at this point, you know, thinking back to the Phantom Menace, I'm like, okay, yeah, Liam Neeson, yeah, check Ian McGregor, ah, uh, and Natalie Portman, ah, uh, Jake Lloyd, ah. Uh, you know, now it's like, yeah, yeah, like him, like him, like her, like the droid. Okay, I'm in. Let's go. Okay, what were your initial thoughts here when you're seeing what life was like for her on Jakku? These sets, her as a scavenger, her meeting with Finn, initial meeting with Finn and BB-8. Did you like all of these scenes? For the most part, I, I did. I, I liked some the, like the details that they afforded her existence on this planet. She goes and scavenges a bunch of stuff. She brings it and, and barters for food, basically. So that was a cool exploration of the economics of her situation there. We don't really get those types of details in, in A New Hope, which would be the only other kind of place where it would have mattered. So um, just one thing for a second. Do you know who played that guy she was bartering with? Who no. Who was in control of that? His character's name in the movie universe is Anker Platt, according to Wikipedia. He was played by Simon Pegg. Oh, okay. I knew Simon Pegg was in it, but I didn't know where so that's uh that's interesting jj probably wouldn't admit that he'd feel the wrath of all the trekkies out there but uh well i mean simon Pegg is is fairly well loved amongst uh, he, he's the community a he's a bum but anyways uh, let's move on uh, okay no, no, okay no, no, we're doing a simon Pegg movie next episode and i just decided that now because of that okay well, yeah <laughs> <laughs> prepare for my wrath <laughs> i hate it uh so nathan your thoughts here about these scenes one of the things I really liked, and it's a very small detail, but the use of practical effects, the one especially where she mixes that powder in the water and it turns into a loaf of bread, that's got to be a practical effect. I'm sure of it. I, mean, I don't it see looks... how that was a practical effect. No, that's CGI, man. Oh, no. I don't think I... it is. No, the way it was done, that looked very realistic. Like I yeah, was I'm... curious how they'd pull it off, but it's got to be practical. I'm convinced that is a, that was a practical effect if because it was, it was so cool impressive. looking. Yeah, I mean, obviously, they didn't make like true bread that just like was, you know, created instantly. I'm sure it was like some horrid plastic or whatever that came out of that. But but aside from that, yeah, these opening scenes, the chemistry between all the characters is instantly recognizable. Everyone is likable right from go. I do like her, like the the display of her situation at, because it, it, there's a real, and uh, even though I kind of made a joke about talking about the prequels, you know, with the prequels, you never got a sense of Anakin's slave situation. It seemed like he had a pretty good Whereas with Ray's, I mean, it this does not look like uh, an idyllic existence at all. And the fact that we don't even have though she a has freedom, of, yeah, she ideal. has freedom. But the idea of like the scavenging, I mean, like there's no way off this planet. So the only well, I mean, how much freedom does she truly have? Like, OK, it's not okay. Like you could just I'm going to disagree with you here. She has a way off the planet. She sees ships leave all the time. She's staying for a reason, for her well, fr okay, return of her family. That, okay, fair enough. She does, I guess, have a purpose. But the point that I'm trying to get at is that it's not really an, uh, an idyllic situation to be living on. I mean, you know, moisture farming is probably, I'm sure that's a hard life too, but I mean, it's not really idyllic. But aside from that, I think the other thing I like is the way they show her existence without ridiculous exposition. The uh, look she gives that old woman, they're pulling pieces uh, of salvage apart. That was a neat little moment. The escape, actually, from the from the Star Destroyer. Great action sequence. Uh, a little bit of a 
quibble, I guess, about the the dialogue between the two of them. I'm not really sure about like Poe giving Finn his name right then and there. Felt a little too quick, a little too forced, but overall a, a great action sequence, I thought. I kind of liked the way it was portrayed that Finn, he's just kind of coming up with it as he goes and sort of his panic. And he's just like, I don't, whatever we got to do, let's just, let's just go. I liked a lot of that. Excellent. Andrew, why don't you chime in on all these scenes? The only review I watched was actually Jeremy John's and <laughs> didn't have any, he didn't have any spoilers in it. But what I loved is I'm going to reiterate what he said for this particular opening. It's like in four minutes, the relationship that developed between Poe and Finn was much more believable than any of the relationships in the three prequel movies. Right there, you knew that these guys were going to be a really fun and they had already bonded. And really? You guys I, got that right there. I felt it was a little forced. Oh, I See, felt I, it was forced. I bought it later in the movie as they kind of met again. I thought it was more, worse later in the movie. I see the argument how it's better than what was shown in the prequels. Hard to argue against that. But I'm just saying, even here, I'm not exactly sure I bought it right off the bat. It was I mean, very quick. It Don't was very wrong. quick. Yeah. But anyways, you continue, Andrew. I loved the practical, like when, when we see Ray going down into the Star Destroyer. Oh, yeah, was and shot. the moment where she slides down on whatever yes. that little device is, that to me... It oh, beautiful also, cinematography right there. Cinematography across the board for this movie was just like watching it a second time and really being able to take it all in. Like that sequence, that was another moment of like they're going back to their roots. Like this is going to be a practical effect movie. And I loved how it set the tone and Ray, just how she carried herself. She shows that tough yet she's still young and sensitive... I love what they did, but for me, I think who really stole the beginning sequences was BB-8. I hated in my head saying this, but like after those few minutes, I'm like, wow, I think I like BB-8 more than I like R2-D2. Oh, I was going to ask uh, that question later, but it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just so much more to BB-8, and you could just tell he's a kid. Like It's not an adult droid, and they were able to make him so expressive, and he stole every single sequence that he was in. It's just unbelievable what they did. So for me, like, as Jeff mentioned, like, after those interactions, like, okay, like, I love all of these characters already. This shouldn't happen so quickly. Oh, it was so great. Yeah, I agree for the most part there, Andrew. These scenes are very, very good. You instantly like all the characters for the most part. I'd say the relationship with Foe and, uh, not Foe, Finn, <laughs> Fee-Fi, Foe, Fum, Finn and Poe. <laughs> That's their baby. I can really go that's for their, some That's their right couple now. name, Poe. <laughs> <laughs> that's the bromance. Patent pending. So, <laughs> yeah, except for Finn and Poe's immediate bromance and the naming, as you mentioned, Nathan. Yeah, a bit forced. I wasn't really too crazy on the escape from the Star Destroyer. It was okay. But, I mean, you're not blowing your wad right away. So it served its purpose. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed this. I noticed it both times. I was a bit perplexed of the use of Luke's theme uh, with Finn as he, you know, pulled Poe aside in the, one of the corridors on the Star Destroyer saying he's going to get him out. Oh, and I need a pilot. They used Luke's theme there. I found that quite interesting. I loved everything on Jakku with Ray. Ray is easily my favorite new character in the movie. Yeah, she did a really good job in these opening scenes. I love all the practical effects. And then even the CGI, you see all the AT-ATs where she's kind of made her home or and all that stuff was very good. The only thing that kind of bugged me, though, is I felt that the settlement, like the main settlement or that little shanty town, was a bit empty. You know, I'm not really sure a small settlement like that could thrive. Yeah, I know they built everything practical, which looked excellent. 
And the creatures there looked excellent. You got those little robot guys. You got this big creature walking, dragging something. I loved all of these scenes. But I was just kind of asking myself, could a settlement that small thrive? And I thought maybe that was a missed opportunity where they could have put some, like, you know, overlaid it with a bit of CGI in the background with a few more buildings. Make it look a little bit more like a port. Here, it just felt like, what, one or two tents? Like maybe, what, three or four tents? That was it. And you had that little gated entrance thing and that was pretty much all that there was i don't know if you guys agree i definitely agree with bb8 here i even loved the first instance here uh one of the lines i really loved here and maybe i'm moving ahead of where you guys were thinking in your head but when finn meets ray and then you know bb8 is accusing him of stealing the jacket i did love the the emotive response of bb8 when finn says poe didn't make it you see bb8 being sad and just walks away love that moment there but i loved when ray was asking oh you're part of the resistance and he goes yeah 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 this is what i look like i'm part of the resistance that's right that's right i am the resistance (laughs) and i and i love that you know little swagger that he has there and that was a very good written line and boyega nailed it here some other lines later in the movie i think he just he was he didn't really nail but he nailed this and i actually this was probably the only moment in the movie that i genuinely laughed out loud and i loved that so i think across the board we agree the dialogue is very good here so let's just move on the first order starts to chase ray and finn because kylo ren knows that uh, the droid is on the surface there and uh, obviously poe and finn escaped so here they start running away from an airstrike and you see the millennium falcon so what did you guys think of the falcon's introduction here in the chase with the tie fighters on the ground well, I missed the the, the first – because you can actually like, – when I watched it the second time, I was actually watching for the Millennium Falcon when they're running towards the uh, the quad jumper. I was totally oblivious. I was so wrapped up in the action. But they really had telescoped that like the Millennium Falcon was about to show up when she like refers to that one as garbage. I liked it. Like the, the chase throughout the camp, him continuously holding her hand and pulling her along. Like you could sense like there is actually a connection already and her telling him off every single time. He grabbed her hand. The introduction of the Falcon, I thought, was quite well done. It was, of course, quite convenient at the same time. But I think there may be some explanation as to why the Falcon was there to begin with beyond the, the explanation that was given in the movie itself. But what I also liked is that once the Falcon was introduced and they, they went on to her, like they had no idea how to fly her. Like it wasn't a graceful takeoff by any means. And then learning how to, to pilot the Falcon itself, like it was... Like, I don't want to talk about the chase sequence quite yet afterwards. No, no, yeah, go ahead. The chase sequence, I think, was the best action part in the entire movie. The rest of the action was fantastic. But this, in terms of, like, the space battles, the just the... I was taken aback just how well it was put together. And also that final moment when she's able to kind of stall the Falcon, so he's able to blow away the last TIE fighter. And she's like, I have no idea how I did that. And he was totally perplexed as well. Like, the interactions between the two characters as well. Like, there was a natural chemistry between these two actors. And just the whole way that it was done, the flying through the Super Star Destroyer as well. I go, oh, I just, it, I'm, I'm going to be just a total fanboy this entire podcast, but that's just how I felt the entire time watching this movie. Okay, Nathan, shoot. Yeah, I loved it. I actually, even though I have like a reputation for like sometimes making theories about movies, 90% of the time they're not true, but I kind of suspected that this might happen and then when i think it's when ray says oh that's a piece of junk i can oh yeah here comes the falcon because i remember like the scene from the trailer and then as i'm watching the movie i'm kind of like and then the moment i think when they blew up the other ship it's like oh, okay we're gonna we're gonna find the falcon here but then in my mind it felt kind of weird at first that it was just conveniently located there but anyways it still works i mean you know i can i can kind of buy it 
I thought it it evoked a lot of feels of Empire, which I loved, of course, because that's my favorite movie. And it had a lot of tension to it, I thought. It didn't drag on too long, which I enjoyed. It was a nice short action sequence. I also appreciated, I guess, the they kept the Millennium Falcon's targeting system. That was really cool. And sort of afterwards, when I was thinking about the movie, and I, maybe this is jumping around a bit, but is this kind of a callback to episode one, the way Anakin was a good pilot? Well, I think it's a callback to both. Yeah. Yeah. Anakin was a good pilot right off Luke the bat. Luke was a good pilot. Uh, you know, Obi-Wan throws that in, and we obviously know from the trench run. So yes, it yeah. is a callback. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay, that's that's was kind of what I was thinking afterwards. But the thing that was kind of neat is I didn't really think of that at the time. Well, I guess you don't have all the information at the time. But the chemistry between again, we keep talking about the chemistry between all these characters, and they have that nailed for or this movie. I thought it actually their chemistry worked better than the Poe and Finn scenes. And I agree, their chemistry is better than Poe and Finn, at least so far. So Jeff, how about yourself? Talk about the introduction of the Falcon or the TIE fighter chase on the ground and then the fall, uh, TIE fighter chasing the Falcon as well with uh, Finn shooting and Ray piloting. What were your thoughts about here? The chase on the ground, like where they're running from the TIE fighters, I thought was really good. Lots of tension in that scene. You know, practical explosions on real sets really, it really ups the tension. You know, everything looks very real. It's great. I did not really care for the introduction of the Falcon. You know, I... We've talked about the coincidences so far, and, and as I've said, then I've bought into it because it's Star Wars and that's what happens. But I think there's when it happens like that, you start to use up your coincidence currency. You know, <laughs> I love that. Yes, and I completely agree. Yeah, coincidence yeah. currency. That's yeah. great. Patent pending. But, yeah, patent pending. You know, they bowl right through it though, and keep it moving. So that's you know, it's kind of the way to you know sort of make me forget about it because there's too much shit going on. I can't sort of dwell on it. The chase through. The Star Destroyer there, yeah, I thought I really dug it. I thought it was great. What I really like, and we, you know, this will carry through the film as well, is when you're using CG heavily, like these are all obviously animated sequences here, right? We're not they're not using practical models. What I think you really need to do as a filmmaker is you have to ground the camera. The camera has to sort of be real in the shot. It can't just sort of the, the camera just can't sort of free roam through shots. Then it looks completely fake. So it, it wasn't like the camera sort of had a logical positioning here and it obeyed rules, right? The camera couldn't just sort of go through walls and up and down and through and the whole thing, right? As they do in, in some movies and then it looks like total bullshit. That really helps these space fighter sequences. I love that. Is this the scene where we see the TIE fighters coming in against the sun, or is that later? No, that's when they're they're fighting on the... That's uh, later. Okay, so we'll talk about that later. Yeah, so overall, yeah, excellent action sequence here. The chemistry, as you guys have said, it's really, it's really working. Yes, for me, I agree, Jeff. I almost prefer the ground chase, the airstrike chase, more than the Falcon chase, because uh, practical effects, practical explosion. I liked the bit of humor, as Andrew mentioned, where he's trying to grab at her hand and lead the way. Uh, he obviously, you know, he's trying to impress her right off the bat. And, and I liked some of that humor. It also goes to show that Ray can take care of herself. And I loved just BB-8 rolling. And I forgot to mention this before when we we're talking about BB-8, just a bit of trivia already, even though we know nothing think of the movie i'll give you some trivia from what i have researched there have been seven bb8s that were used on this film 
wow. so like one certain ones are for use for certain scenes like just straight rolling one a little bit more for the turning one for emotiveness different kinds so those kind of things and also rolling on different surfaces but i loved the movement here as you said i love that part what was underwhelming was in my opinion this tie fighters chasing the falcon i didn't enjoy the scene i found myself kind of a little underwhelmed and i want to bring up the first point of the score here i was underwhelmed by the score in this movie now we can talk about that as we progress through the movie or th- oh i end. really wanted to talk about this so i say let's save the bulk of the conversation for the end of, of the podcast but this scene i felt really could have used a little bit more oomph from john williams i just felt it was a bit underwhelming uh, the chase was a bit underwhelming but again you're not blowing your load right off the bat served its purpose i agree i'm glad it wasn't too long i also wanted to mention I was, even though we were supposed to get a gist that she's such a good pilot, I felt that she piloted the Falcon a little too good. Came a little too easily to her. And the Falcon, as you said, the coincidence currency, I didn't like the fact that the Falcon was just sitting there. Oh, okay, we'll move from this, now we'll move to that, and the Falcon's there. Perfect. And then we're going to get into the next coincidence. We'll talk about the next scene. They encounter Han and Chewie's freighter as they escape the atmosphere and immediately get locked on by Han and Chewie. Let's get into this here. What did you guys think of Han and Chewie's intro as they lock on to the Millennium Falcon? Get The Falcon gets pulled aboard. I want you to talk about all this stuff, including the conversation that Han has with Ray and Finn about Luke. And also even, you know, I think the Falcon starts to break down. We get a little bit of Finn lying to Ray and having to rely on BB-8 backing him up. And I also want you to want your opinion on these uh, space pirates boarding Hans Freighter and those scenes. So, Jeff, how about you go first? What were your thoughts here? Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, we know they're going to be encountering our classic heroes here. So and I know it's just going to be some coincidence that brings them together. But it's kind of the same thing. I mean, this coincidence is less of a problem for me because, like, they've already found the Millennium Falcon. So, you know, I'm I'm led to believe that Chewie and Han were on the trail of the Millennium Falcon. So they were going to encounter it. So for me, the the worst coincidence was how they found it. After they found it, I I can believe they run into Han and Chewie because they're looking for it. So so I'm okay with it. I don't love it, but I'm okay with it. The actual shot where Chewie and Han come into the Millennium Falcon there is that callback to that classic shot with, you know, with, you know, them standing next to each other and hands, uh, blasters drawn. I, I mean, that was in the tra- the second trailer. So I like that shot. So the conversation with Ray and Finn, the dialogue was okay. I thought it was a competently written scene. I mean, this is one of the instances where the exposition comes out and it wasn't too heavy. So I thought it was handled fairly well, but the, This is the first sort of instance of world building that we get since the opening crawl where, you know, now we find out that, you know, the Luke Skywalker is a myth. The Jedi are, I mean, they're not a myth. They were real, but they're believed to be a myth. That's a callback to the original trilogy as well. But that was an aspect of of the original trilogy that I liked, you know, this ancient religion. And it's just a bunch of hokey pokey and, and, uh, all that stuff. Uh, I, I, I really enjoyed that concept throughout the, through that thread through this movie. So this is the start of that. So that was pretty good. And this is Han's conversation with the two. Yeah. You know, this is kind of where he says, you know, yeah, you know, all that stuff was real. I I thought that was pretty cool where the pirates come in here. I I didn't love this uh, action sequence here. It was okay. It didn't bug me. It was just okay. So Nathan, your thoughts. Other than Han and Chewie walking onto the Millennium Falcon there. This entire section of the movie is forgettable. It actually felt like a video game 
in a lot of ways where, okay, we're encountering one thing and now we're encountering the next thing immediately after that. And now we have exposition and now we're, now we have an action sequence that we got to deal with. So it was okay, but I don't want to say forced, but certainly like, it's like, okay, we need to progress the movie along in a certain way, but we don't necessarily want to move along with the main plot. So now we have to have these pirates that both happen to show up at the same time that Han and Chewie find the Millennium Falcon, which is immediately after they leave the planet. Like there's no real time cuts here. I no, there's no breathing so. room. Uh, Earth, Hitler, 1938. <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> How dare you cross star. genres like that? How dare you cross them? JJ you did it. We can't. We can. Simon Pegg's oh, doing it. We can do oh, it. We can do you it. Don't cross the streets. You don't cross don't the cross streets. The streets. <laughs> yeah, I, it's fine. It's whatever. But it is almost entirely forgettable. And all the exposition, I can't even remember what the hell they talked about other than they recognized who Han Solo was and then some stuff about Luke came up and then giant gibbery monsters, you know. I Actually, in fact, well, not a video game. The whole thing felt like a D&D encounter. That's what it felt. <laughs> okay, Andrew. Right, right down to the monsters. I swear, I can, I'm going to go look in my monster manual right now and find those. Okay, Andrew. Your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to echo what Nathan said in regards to like, I don't want to necessarily say it's forgettable, but it just felt out of place. The interactions on the ship itself with the pirates, it felt like something you'd see on Firefly. It didn't seem like a, a Star Wars interaction. I did appreciate the banter between Han and Chewbacca. I think that was really, really neat to see like more just the two of them together whenever they have a scene in this movie. I just love seeing them interact. The one that I don't want to miss out talking about is BB-8's interaction with Finn. That was, I just howled when he gave the, the thumbs up. Uh, and, uh, it was so awesome. Andrew, just, uh, now we're getting into Pixar moments here in Star Wars. Loved it. I, loved, loved it, it. Jeff? I say, loved it. Uh, did I? I hated it. It, it. it was a Pixar moment, but starting I mean, I laughed. You're, you're starting laughed to take, yeah, you're starting to take me out of the movie a little bit because he already had his zapping. And I think that was to the extent of, R2 doing stuff. One of the complaints in the prequel trilogy, so I'd be like, I don't want to bring the prequels too much into this, but one of the complaints is like, let's look at Revenge of the Sith. So many people complain that, oh, R2 all of a sudden has all these different powers. I mean, he's defeating these other droids. He's pulling some stuff out of his circuitry to do certain things. I know there are elements of that in Return of the Jedi, but I don't know. This felt really out of place for me when he gave him the thumbs up. I hated that. I know the entire theater loved it. Everybody laughed. I did not. I cringed. I was yeah. like, that's the only thing about BB-8 in this whole movie that I hated. This that- is why I think you should do reaction videos, Harry, because I'm really tempted to start talking about how like the latest Star Trek Beyond trailer is one of the best trailers of all time and how I really whoa, enjoyed whoa. it just to see. Okay, how- Andrew, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hold okay, on. So ladies and gentlemen, Andrew is now banned from this podcast. Yeah, he's off Bye, the show Andrew. now. <laughs> I guess, Sorry. Yeah. No, I, okay, you got the James Bond eject button not- on. <laughs> Dull thud as my head hits the ceiling. But no, I I did feel as if the sequence, it really wasn't necessary in the grand scheme of things. I think it just allowed for more interaction between Han, Chewie, and seeing Rey and Finn. But it wasn't, I think, the the strongest by any means sequence. If not, it was probably the weakest sequence in the, the movie. Yeah, I would agree with you guys. They needed to give Han Solo something on his own. So I understand why it was here. You have to please Harrison Ford and give some banter that, you know, something is going on for Han Solo and Chewie that are not related to these other characters. I just felt that, as you guys said, it, when those pirates boarded, there's a logical, there's a logic issue here, too. How did they just board on their own? 
Uh, I don't know how they can get onto the freighter by themselves, but anyways. That's what pirates do, man. <laughs> I get that's what pirates do. I just don't understand the logic of how they got on. They, oh, yeah, they can just, you know, fly through the opening, no problem. But anyways, beyond that, the confrontation when Han's in the middle of the two, I didn't really like some of those things. I didn't like that Scottish guy. You know, we're talking about accents in Star Wars, so Ray's got a British accent, fine. You know, Alec Guinness had an accent, fine. But this guy really felt out of place. What do you guys think? I, I don't know. Hard so I don't know. I can't do a Scottish accent. You know what I, I like? I like having different accents. I mean, it, it's not a new thing. We've had it before. And I prefer it when they're, you know, they're real accents as opposed to, you know, the Carrie Fisher sort of half accent at times, you know, where it's, but, and then it's weird, uh, you know? I hear you, but maybe what would have been better here? So, you, you know, you're pulling the audience out, you know, maybe not you guys. I got pulled out here a little bit out of this world when I'm hearing this guy talk on one of the pirates thing and the other guys too. I would have preferred maybe they were talking in whatever language it is, you know, some alien language and you have the words scrolled across like the other group did. I think that would have been a bit better. I don't know. I just felt that was all yeah, right. I'm, I'm with you, Harry. It pulls you out a little bit. It, it's a little too jarring. Because a British accent, I think to us in North America, it can kind of be generic enough. You even see it in TV where sometimes, you know, characters from other cultures just sort of have a British accent and, it, and it's sort of shorthand for foreignness. But yeah, it, it's a little weird. And actually, I think what well, Andrew kind of said, this whole thing feels very Firefly-ish. Firefly even felt like something I could see in JJ's Star Trek. Yeah. 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 It, feel that way. yeah it felt very, you know, modern. Maybe that should have been Simon Pegg. And he's actually playing Scotty the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'd love Cross to see that over. in a deleted scene. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I, I agree with you guys. Let's move on. I think the scene really didn't work for me either. So we may have skipped over a small scene where back on the Star Destroyer, Kylo Ren is talking to Vader's melted helmet. We can see some conflict that he has there. And then I want to combine this discussion with Snoke's first appearance and General Hux himself. So the question I have here, in addition to discussing your likes and dislikes here, I want to get into the meat and potatoes of the First Order itself and these characters. What do you guys think of these scenes? The revelation of who Kylo Ren is? How do you like Snoke, Hux? What are your first real impressions of the First Order here? Because now we're getting a little bit deeper here. So, Andrew, you may start... I still have a lot of questions when it comes to the First Order and in regards to like how it formed Snoke's introduction, very much like the Emperor. And they, of course, make him out to be this grand, massive character. But I think he's going to be like the size of Yoda. Hey, if Certainly. I had a hologram, I'd be like even I'd be like 10 times as much as that guy. <laughs> I, could, I could just see you have like this giant hologram of your head as I like leave my. It'd be like Bender making that statue on Futurama of himself. That's <laughs> <laughs> perfect. But like with Snoke, and you can tell that he's got some interaction with the Jedi. So I'm curious to see his relationship with the Jedi because like you can see he's got scars and he's been beaten up. I like the character. It wasn't overacted by any means. The revelation of Kylo Ren being Ben Solo or Ben Organa, depending upon how progressive you are. <laughs> It wasn't a big shock to me. I think also given the expanded universe, it wasn't too much of a revelation. And the fact that they made it so early on, it, for those who are familiar with Star Wars lore, it wasn't something that came out of the left field. So, yeah. Quick question for you, though, Andrew. What was your thought or response of the way they revealed it in terms of the way they revealed it in the scene and the timing of the movie? Very much like Empire. When the Emperor was talking to Vader and Empire in regards to Luke Skywalker, 
And I think they added a sequence in the the later Blu-rays where they talk a little bit more and there's more interaction there. But the timing, it took away from the revelation. I think they could have revealed it a little later and had much more of an impact. Mm. But it was very soft in regards to, to how the reveal was. But a lot of questions about the First Order. I have no idea how the Republic and the First Order, like how the inter- they, they formed. It just feels like the empire but it's not the empire i yeah i'm not sure if they're going to explain it through comic books or cartoon series whatever but of course i always want more but i'm content with what they gave us because it's us asking questions that i'm sure we're going to have answered at a later date this was actually the scene where i had to run to the washroom so i don't have (laughs) too much to say that's right it was yeah shit (laughs) yeah but no but i will say one thing that the the revelation of han solo as kylo ren's father i did hear that part as i'm at the front of the theater and I kind of stopped and turned like, whoa, what? And it, it feels out of place. It also felt very offhand. It's like this offhand mention, which I think it would have had better impact if it had been later in the movie. And yeah, like Andrew, like I have real questions about the, the political system now in this world of the First Order and the Resistance and the Republic, which is now a thing. And it's very confusing. We can maybe talk about it later. I, yeah, I did I, look I was up, gonna bring up it about up the later. comic books, but... I was going to bring it up later when we first see the resistance. Let's talk about the political state of the galaxy then. Um, But how about the rest of these scenes here? Uh, How about Snoke or how about General Hux? Any thoughts on these guys? Overall, I kind of like Hux. I mean, he's kind of a a nothing character, but I really like the actor. Is it Isaac Oscar or is it Oscar Isaac? This is uh, Hux is, uh, uh, again, pronunciation, I'm not sure, but Dom Hal Gleason. Oh, that's who that is. Sorry, yeah, I'm Oscar Isaac the is, other uh, is Poe Dameron. Po Dameron. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I always get them mixed up, those two. Like the names, I don't know why. I just In my brain, I just have it seared in that one is the other. Um, All those white guys look the same to you. They really do. Cookie cutters. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the Empire or the First Order, I guess. They're all just generic white guys, right? But from what I saw before I had to leave the theater briefly, the reveal of Snoke was actually kind of odd. Yeah, I have a theory that he's actually, yeah, Yoda size. I said that to Jeff after the movie. Is like, I, I wonder if he's like 12 inches tall, actually. <laughs> okay. That's all I got. Okay, so a couple things. I'm going to disagree with you guys on the reveal of Kylo Ren's lineage. And the reason why is... We know that the series is, um, you know, as they've said, the numbered Star Wars movies are always going to be about the Skywalkers, right? So that means that, you know, either Kylo Ren or Rey or both is a Skywalker. And then the question is, you know, okay, so this is Darth Vader's, you know, Darth Vader's grandchildren are in this movie because it's about the Skywalkers. Uh, then it's just a question of is it Kylo, is it Ray, is it both? And then, then the other question is either they're solos or not, right? So, so it, it's not a reveal at all. Like they, they just took that away because we know that there's obviously a connection to the Skywalker legacy. So they took it away. They made it Han Solo's son. So I, I like that they just said like they just put it there so that we don't have to play that game. Now, now that's there, and we can just now we can play with it, right? Now there's some stakes there without doing an Empire-style okay. reveal. I agree with you. The timing, I, I like the fact that they did something different. Otherwise, people would say, oh, if you reveal it later in the movie, like when they, you know, eventually Han and Kylo confront each other, then it's your Empire, your Chris Copying Empire, right? Yeah. So they did something different here, which is fine. I just felt it fell flat. That, yeah, that, I mean, it, I see what you're saying, but it falls flat because they just state it as normal characters would. You know what I mean? Like, they knew who he was, so... 
there would be no secret. It's kind of like when we talked about Spectre and then it's like this grand, well, shit, I know Nathan hasn't seen it, so maybe I'll skip that. But it's like, you know what? That's who the guy is. You already ruined it. I can already guess based on your tone. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) Well, why? What the the James Bond is only 12 inches tall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's it's the offhanded nature that feels like that, but that's, that's how it would. Problem but it, it would be offhand if they're just talking. Uh, but I'm I'm watching an but it's operatic. A movie. Oh, it's a movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess so. I, I just don't. I don't like it to be a fake. And because that, you know, how do you do it so that it's like, oh shit, you know, like but, you can't. But good writers, good writers would come with a better way. I just felt that just I don't mind having it come in an offhand conversation. It just there was something missing here. Well, I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, I, I definitely I get that that's how you guys that's how you guys feel about it. I thought it was a good choice, uh, but I'll move on from that. So talking about Snoke, I didn't care for Snoke here. <sighs> Lots has been made about the mocap legend of that is Andy Circus. And when I saw Snoke, I was like, eh, that's it. Completely yeah, like, agree. He reminded yeah. me of one of those aliens in Crystal Skull. It was so underwhelming and disappointing. I think it would have been better with Andy Serkis in makeup. Yeah, I totally agree. It would have been way better with Andy Serkis in, in makeup. That it would have been, been better, better. In, with Andy Serkis without makeup. Yeah, I could have just been Andy Serkis himself. He is a, he's a great character actor. He's excellent. And I'm, I'm disappointed. Su- I'm disappointed. Like the CG and the CGI it surprisingly was, was terrible. Yeah, here. it was not up to par. It's too bad. I mean, it, it's not killing me that it plays out this way. But yeah, it's definitely a disappointment here. I mean, it, you know, I'd heard... You know, I, I, like I say, I avoided spoilers, but sometimes you see a headline and, and like I saw a headline. It's like, is Snoke 25 feet tall? And, and it's, it's just a hologram. He's a hologram. But I was like, well, OK, uh, why? Like, why? Why was it like this? It wasn't necessary. It didn't add anything. They didn't need to mocap this performance. So that's kind of too bad. How about Sorry, Hux? I mean, he's totally one dimensional. You know, it's the, you know, the military bad guy. But uh, I really enjoyed him. I thought it's hard to bring more to a one-dimensional character and i thought don hall gleason did a, a really good job it calls back to the tarkin vader relationship where you know, tarkin <laughs> yeah he's, Tark- he's tarkin 2.0 yeah he is tarkin 2.0 where he was he was he didn't like vader there he's sort of uncomfortable with that and this is sort of the same thing only he's up he's more openly disdainful of kylo ren's presence and uh, yeah i thought that i thought that part played very well I'm hoping we get more General Hux in the coming films. I didn't mind Hux, even though he has nothing on Peter Cushing's target, in my opinion. It's a different level of class right there and scene stealing. But what did you guys think of the Kylo talking to Vader's melted helmet? I found it interesting. We're seeing that he's a complex character. He's struggling between the dark and the light here. We're seeing that he's a Vader or Sith fanboy. Like he's interested in having this. Now, how he got it is a different story, but whatever. I don't know if having him have these struggles already. Here's a question I have for you guys. I don't know if unless they can come up with a very interesting story later, does it take away some of the stakes? Because I know that later we already mentioned he kills Han. That was kind of the nail in the coffin for this movie, at least, that kind of ends that conflict of him being in the light. And now he's on the dark. But if he's already struggling with this emotion and this conflict, does it make him more interesting? And does it lessen the stakes later? But I know they have to do something different. So this is a difficult concept. So what are your guys' thoughts on that? And I also want to bring another thing here, something that I found kind of funny. Snoke tells Kylo he has to deal with Han Solo. So that's his conflict. That the biggest threat that the Knights of Ren have ever faced is dealing with Han Solo. Because when he's talking to Kylo, he's saying, you have to deal with your father. 
he's involved now because he can sense his involvement with Ray and BB-8 and the plans and stuff like that. So he says, this is not just Kylo's biggest threat. He says, this is the Knights of Ren's biggest threat. Mm-hmm. And we can even talk about the Knights of Ren. This is the biggest threat that the Knights of Ren have ever faced is Han Solo. Oh, he's about- a badass. <laughs> well, I think maybe it was I, I, more... I, yeah, it's more Kylo's thing. I just found it funny. Yeah, I'm going to jump in here, guys. Uh, I So first off with the... I really, really liked him speaking, you know, in a sense to Darth Vader. He's got the mask there, how he got it, whatever. It's not that important, but I, I really enjoyed that scene. And when we've seen characters before, and primarily Luke and Anakin, obviously, where they're good characters and they're struggling being seduced by the dark side, and we get the flip side of that. I thought that was very interesting. He's like, I feel the pull of the light. And I'm like, ah, that's pretty cool, man. The way he delivers these lines, man, I'm really digging this character at this point. He's really working for me. And I really like that scene. I I thought it was very effective. I liked it too. My only question then is, is does it lessen the stakes? Does it lessen the stakes later? I don't know. See, I hadn't thought about that. That's an interesting question because... You know, I'm thinking more about like, ah, you know, the complexity of the characters drawing me in and the performances drawing me in. Does it raise or lower the stakes for later? I don't know. That's a good question, man. I, I don't you're know. Gonna I need a really, you're going to need really good story writing. Yeah. For it, the it later episodes. Yeah. yeah. For this movie, I thought that I can't say, you know, does it raise the stakes or lower the stakes? But it does make that. And we'll talk about it later. The confrontation between Han Solo and, and Kylo Ren later is it. It's like, oh, shit. What, you know, what's it going to do? You know, I felt because of this setup. That scene later in this movie worked better. What are your thoughts? His instability and his temper tantrum. I, I don't want to hark back to the complaints on the prequels. Is this better than how Anakin was portrayed? Now, I'm not talking about Hayden Christensen's acting. I'm talking about just in terms of the character. I mean, I see what you're saying, but I felt like when I watched him here, I'm like, well, this is how Anakin should have come across because it's the performance that sells this. Like obviously he, you know, he loses control. He throws a temper tantrum. I think that shows us that he is not in control. He is not, you know, a measured villain. Like Darth Vader, as I, I said, when we did that episode, he was so calm about everything and, and Kylo was not there. He doesn't have that level of control. So because the performance sold it for me, you know, he's, he's like a caged animal in a, in a way. So that <laughs> worked for me. Okay, Nathan. I do really like the well the, the dialogue he has with Vader's mask and the temptation towards the light. I thought that was a very neat little line, and I think that gives us a, a different dimension to a villain that we haven't had before. And it wasn't really overplayed throughout the whole movie, right? There wasn't scenes of him, you know, saving people and stuff like that. And I thought that was uh, so. I thought it was a, a nice touch. The temper tantrum stuff. I don't know. I'm a little bit in between. On whether or not it worked, it felt a little childish in some ways. It would have been better if he just killed a guy, I think. But at least he brings it back. That's the thing is he, he kind of has the, the tantrum and then he brings it back under control. Having the Vader mask, I did think it was a little bit strange, regardless of just the, the whole backstory of how he got it, like whatever that may be. But overall, I mean, I think this is a nice, new, interesting villain that we have, which I think is the most important thing. And I think that they have a nice base to build upon for the future movies. I agree. I was interested here. How about you, Andrew? See, I, I think Kylo Ren isn't as much on the dark side as we think he is. I think a lot of what he's doing is trying to convince the dark side to come out by being angry, by overreacting. Like even at the very end sequence when he's pounding his wound just to try and get his hatred flowing, there is so much more conflict than 
I think they're leading on. Like, I, I'm not sure if they're purposely doing that, but he's not fully on the dark side. And I think they're going to make it so much more interesting because his character is idolizing Darth Vader. And I love the inclusion of the helmet. And in his head, he's convinced that like Darth Vader was Darth Vader to the very end, that he was not someone that had any light inside of him. Like he got redeemed because he eliminated the Sith. But I think he's got this story that perhaps Snoke has planted in his head is like Vader was this total badass all the time. So when there's a revelation of, hey, by the way, Anakin went back to the light side before he died, it's going to completely shake the foundation of what Kylo Ren (laughs) believes in. See, if Sebastian Shaw's Force Ghost was not overwritten <laughs> by George Lucas, he would have visited Kylo, but we got Hayden Christensen who's probably off pod racing somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love about Kylo Ren is that he is well beyond torn up when it comes to like what side of the Force he's on. And even after he kills Han, I'm still not 100% convinced he's fully gone to the dark side. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you guys here. I like the characterization of Kylo, and I love the scene he's talking to Vader's helmet. You can see some of the acting where he's kind of just, he's almost like having a seizure. Like he's sitting there and he's convulsing, like I can feel the light. And, you know, slightly overplayed, but I enjoyed the scenes there. The temper tantrums, however, I not enjoyed, especially the second one. I felt they are a bit out of place and almost felt like an Austin Powers movie when you see the reactions of the other people. Like the first one, he's you see the reaction of some lieutenant in the Imperial Garb, and he's kind of wincing. Didn't like the Stormtrooper's reaction later in the movie as Rey <laughs> escaped, and they just kind of said, oh, let's just turn around and walk away. I thought they were playing it a little bit light for jokes. Not well delivered, in my opinion, but I understand the temper tantrums. I just, uh, I just really wasn't a fan of it, but I get he's unstable. But let's move on. Han says he's not going to be able to take Ray Finn and BB-8 to the Resistance himself, but he knows someone who can help. So he takes the group to a planet called Takadona to meet a character called Maz Kanata. So let's talk about this location, the character of Maz, her bar, the even the idea of Han not initially wanting to take Ray to the Resistance himself. And I also want to discuss Ray's vision here. So we're not going to talk about the First Order attacking. Let's put the limit there at Ray's vision. So there's lots to discuss here. So, so Jeff, you go first this time. The location I thought was very cool. I like the sort of the temple type of look to the setting of the bar. Obviously, we get a, a callback to the cantina from A New Hope. I thought it was kind of neat. The, the character, Mascanetta, yeah, I take her or leave her. You know, it was, it was a good effect. And this was a much better mocap performance than, than Andy Serkis as Snow. So far, yeah. At least a better, at least a better setup. Like she's actually a character, you know, it made more sense that this is a mocap. I mean, obviously the key here is the vision and I really dug the vision. I mean, you know, we see that corridor from the Empire Strikes Back. Ah, that was pretty cool, man. I thought that was really cool. We see a hint of the Knights of Ren. So, you know, sort of just just the flashes, you know, we're unclear. We see who we assume to be Luke Skywalker with R2-D2 there. I mean, that was, that was neat. I mean, we know that the Force-sensitive characters can get visions from time to time. But we've never seen a vision. You know, we've never seen it on camera. We just see the character having it. So it was neat to be a part of the vision. I thought that was pretty cool. You know, it's a stopover. And as Nathan said, it's like we go from one thing kind of to the next thing. I mean, Han could have just as easily said, yeah, I'll take you as far as, you know, the place and then I'm and then I'm out of here. I mean, OK, you just want to see Leia, but uh, I don't like all of these stopovers. We have to get to Luke's lightsaber again. At this point, I'm out of coincidence currency when we get to Luke's lightsaber it's a cool reveal, like it comes out of this case, kind of like how it did when Obi-Wan had it in this old, dusty old case. So that's cool. And it's the trigger for her vision, but it's a reach. 
I don't love exposition and sometimes you just, you know, got to, got to take it for what it is, but it bugged me for sure. Uh, who is this rando character here who has like, a, you know, the most relevant, you know, Jedi artifact of their time. I mean, what, why, where, uh, why, where did she get it out? It doesn't make any sense at this point. This one, this, this was going too far for me with the coincidences. What I did like here was Finn, you know, we get the revelation that, or he reveals to Ray that he's, you know, he was a stormtrooper and he just, he just wants to get the fuck out of Dodge. And I, I kind of like that part of the sequence here, but otherwise it's not really working for me through this. I just want to throw it out here before I move to Nathan. So Jeff, what did you think of the set design of the bar? What about the aliens that those kind of designs did it work for you? What about this stuff? This is actually the type of homage that I'd like. So if we look at the set design, I thought the set design was really good and the aliens were were good. This is the kind of homage that I like. It's not really important too much to the story. It's just because there's got to be bars, right, all over the galaxy. So, you know, the fact that it looks like the one from Moss Eisley is is fine. Like, it, it's not a reach for me to believe. That's not a coincidence. It's a, a bar is a bar is a bar. We've all seen one. So that was cool. And I like that, you know, they did the practical set and they did the practical aliens. That was cool. I guess we're, we're led to believe the reason why he doesn't want to take them to the resistance is because he wants to stay as far away from Leia as possible. So that's OK. I mean, I, I understand that. But that being said, and it's been 30 some years for these characters, you know, we're led to believe that Han Solo is somewhat, I don't know if reformed is the right word, but that he became a more selfless man through the events of the original trilogy. Right. So for him to not want to help seemed a little unusual to me. But, you know, again, that being said, we know that he was burned. At this point, we know he was burned by the events with his son turning to the dark side and all of that. So I suppose you could buy it. It doesn't seem like it takes all that long to make a jump to hyperspace and drop somebody off and then, you know, get back to what you were doing either. So, I mean, it's a setup for what happens here with the lightsaber and with the battle that's coming here. So, yeah, it's okay, I guess. It's okay. Okay, Nathan. Your turn. You know, for a moment there, I was going to try and pipe through the uh, classic cantina music. Just uh, <laughs> that's a joke, but it kind of works. But at, and at the same time, it's like, OK, yeah, here here we are. The the cantina scene, uh, which will kind of come to a thing I want to talk about, about how many homages can you. So other than coincidence currency, how much homage currency can you have? Right. It is kind of weird that he doesn't want to take them to the resistance. This feels a little unnecessary, but at the same time, it's also a major plot reveal. Finding the the lightsaber, I really like that flashback. And as an aside, apparently, Un McGregor did a quick voiceover that yes. can be heard somewhere. Oh, really? In this. Yeah, I was going to mention it. So what he says, Ewan McGregor says Ray. And apparently, after some more research, just me, you know, browsing the internet today, the last words in the vision is, these are your first steps. Now, I went on my second viewing, I heard that, and it didn't seem like it sounded like Obi-Wan, either either Alec Guinness kind of modified or Ewan McGregor as a live reading. But apparently, he said both. He said, Ray, and these are your first steps. I could go off the list here. There was Yoda. I heard Yoda. Yoda. You're here. Luke's no scream and a little bit of Darth Vader's breathing. You're right, Jeff. Those were, I got it right off the bat. Those were the corridors of Bespin from Cloud City. And that's it. Then you do Obi-Wan Ray. And obviously you have the Knights of Red. I like the character of Maz. The one thing I did like that there was a little bit of a combination of CGI 
and practical effects. There's one quick shot of her kind of walking away and it looked, maybe it's not, but it looked real enough that it was probably someone very short. I did look up IMDb and there is an actress who is credited as sort of doing the body work for Maz. And then I looked at her height. She's only four feet tall. So I imagine there are some sequences that are are practical for the, the character of Maz. Although the close-up of her face didn't really work for me. But I, I do kind of hope that she comes back one of the future movies. After the movie, I was talking to Jeff a little bit about this. I know we probably shouldn't have been talking about the movie at all before the podcast, but... Um, Couldn't be helped. Couldn't be helped. Yeah. My impression was that some of the other scenes with Luke and R2 and the Knights of Ren, my impression was that those were visions of the past. But Jeff, you thought that they may actually be visions of the future. I know it's not really played out either way. Yeah. But my initial impression was that they were of the past, almost like there was some battle that had happened with the Knights of Ren, with possibly Luke, who knows. Where we see the scene where Luke, you know, puts his hand on R2. I think that was the, I think we're led to believe that that is Luke putting the plans or the map to his location into R2-D2. Yes, and Um, that that is his black robe from Return of the Jedi, so, I mean, yeah. that was sort of my assumption that that was the past. To be fair, he lost that robe in the Rancor pit. So it's a new robe. But anyway, well, <laughs> well, but he might have had a couple more in the closet, right? I mean, you know, you don't just, it's like, well, I like the robe. He went yeah, back to I the buy Jedi one King, now. Yeah. Well, okay. But it's like, yeah, it's like, okay, if I buy a couple, right, I can wear one, <laughs> then it wears out. Then I can have the next one. Then I have to go looking online for, the, for another one that looks kind of similar, right? So just save money now. Right. So mostly up until the battle, again, it's just more exposition. I do like the scenes with Finn because I think, again, this shows some pretty solid writing, an interesting character because it shows the conflict and it kind of throws back to a little bit of the the Han Solo character from A New Hope, where he's like he's, you know, he just kind of a guy who's out for himself. You know, he's not an uh, like a coward of any of any sort but he's like I don't, I don't want to be involved in any of this this is too big for me and i like that and i think the portrayal is really nice too andrew your thoughts the sequence had my, my favorite line in the entire movie when he's talk uh when han's talking to finn and tells him that women always find out the truth. yes yes i was gonna um, mention that great line that's my favorite uh han line in the movie and also Finn calling Han Solo Solo and Han's like, what? What did you just call me? And then he called him Solo for the rest of the movie, which I found was pretty cool. But um, I like this. Is there an in-joke there that I missed? Like, why was that funny? Well, it's just no one had called him Solo before. It was always Han. No, nope. Jabba. It, well, Jabba called him Solo. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. Jabba only referred to him as Solo. But maybe that's why Han didn't like it. Maybe so. Okay. But I like that Han Solo calls Finn a big deal for the rest of the movie. That was yeah, hilarious. that was hilarious. <laughs> I, I, I was ready for Big Daddy. That would have been that would have been nice. Oh, that's how Harry would have interpreted that sequence. Um, uh, but I actually like this, and I thought Maz. It, basically, she's like Yoda 2.0. I mean, she's been around for a thousand years. She's seen the rise and the fall of the Jedi. I think she's going to be a conduit for for Rey in the future. I didn't realize that Yoda and Ewan McGregor, well, Yoda and Ewan McGregor, like they're real characters. Uh, yeah, they got Yodas. They got actually the actor Yoda. Yoda. <laughs> they said, <laughs> yeah, they said Yoda. Yeah. yeah, but I did catch the whole, This, these are your first steps. And that's the moment, like I think her picking up the lightsaber, like she's a Skywalker. Like, pretty much, you just don't know which Skywalker she uh, is. Like, I've got another no. theory. About oh, we got to talk about this. No, no, no. Well, this this goes this. to the end, boys. And let's stay focused. Yeah. We yeah, so it, 
Stay focused, Andrew. Stay on target. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, This is where I I think those flashes were sequences from the past because I I really wanted to watch them the second time around because it was really really frantic the first time. But you see the Knights of Ren and there looks like a bunch of dead, from my interpretation, Jedi around them. Um, Like there was a battle, like they are the group that wiped out all of Luke's trainees because there's no way that Kylo Ren did it on his own. And I like that nod. I, I like the, the, the visions of the past and Ray just not wanting anything to do with it. I think that's also a, a neat little um, side story where she just runs away from the lightsaber. Well, Finn's like, all right, I'll take it. Um, I don't know. I like the sequence. I don't okay. want to dwell too much on this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll chime in here just to give my thoughts. Uh, so the bar. Yeah, Jeff, I agree that the homage doesn't ruin it because it's just there. It's not really part of the whole story, but uh, as you guys have mentioned, my my homage currency is, is beyond wearing thin here. Here's an interesting little trivia tip for you guys. John Williams refused to score or provide music for this scene. There's no reason why he said that, but he is this like maybe he's saying, you know what? We shouldn't be doing this, but if you no. want to do it, find somebody else. I don't he think re- so. He, he didn't do the original cantina scene either, though. Did he not? Did he? No, he did. Hmm. He, he sure? provide, yeah, he provided the music for that scene. I'm pretty sure because he said the the quote here. Uh, I I can't I can't uh, provide the quote because I don't have it in front of me. Is that uh, somebody who interviewed John Williams said, and John Williams said this to him, is that he provided the music for the original Cantina scene, and he feels he can't do better than that for this universe. Oh, that's a weak excuse. That I seems like an odd. Okay. Uh, okay. how many homages here. This is the one he got hung up on. Like, uh, well, just, okay. So this that this up, boils man. the question. Maybe at this point he's saying oh, enough is enough. Well, okay, uh, anyway, perfectly honest. I, I, well, I, I kind of want to. I, I think this is a different aside, but I think we should talk about the entire score of this yeah, movie we'll the score at, at some the, point. At, but, at, yeah. at the end, definitely, that'll be one of the big big topics here. Yeah, uh, I, I, I just really wanted to bring. The, I just wanted to bring that to the table. Is John Williams refused to score this scene and provide the music? Uh, so Maz, yeah, as Andrew mentioned, Yoda 2.0. Uh, I did. I agree with you, Jeff. I like the the concept of Finn saying, you know, I've had enough. So, but again, it's like, okay, well, uh, you know, you got it, Han 2.0. Uh, you know, similar lines here, but I agree. I like the line where he says, "Woman, you'll always find out." Um, uh, so overall, I, I like the sets uh, of the bar. I like how the aliens look. Again, there was just something about the design of some, and the costuming of some of these people that felt. I hate to say it, you got to bring something new, but it felt off. Especially with uh, the, uh, I'll bring one example: that female character who alerts the First Order that uh, that that uh, Han Solo and, and company are here. Uh, she mm-hmm. she didn't she didn't look she felt something out of Star Trek to me it it didn't feel in universe in my opinion it, it's a nitpick it doesn't ruin the movie for me but it, it just some of the character design did and didn't work some look really great some did not wait is that the same character from the Star Trek Beyond trailer yeah <laughs> could be. crossover cross it could be uh, but again I wanted to bring something else now again we all love the the vision uh, and the flashbacks here. Uh, Jeff, uh, Nathan, I agree with Nathan here. Jeff, this is flashbacks of the past. And I want to bring up something here. Uh, even though you see adult Ray in the rain, uh, really, it's uh, she's uh, it's really about her as a, as a youngster, because then it cuts away to her, I believe, screaming 
as somebody is leaving in a transport and, and dropping her off at Jakku. And that person she's dropping her off with is that Unker Platt gentleman who was played by Simon Pegg. Uh, but what was interesting here is during the Knights of Red 2 th- flashback sequence here, you see a bunch of those Knights of Red people. Only Kylo Ren has a lightsaber. Yeah. The other people seem to only have like uh, melee weapons. And yeah. I can confirm this because somebody has leaked stills on the internet that I saw today. And there's an interesting scene here. Uh, if this isn't the past, which I still believe, someone was about to strike Ray. If that was indeed supposed to be Ray, who was going to be st- stricken down with that uh, a club or a melee weapon. And Kylo Ren kills him, hmm. puts his lightsaber through his own Knights of Ren comrade. And does he spare Ray? Interesting questions this brings up. So, so you, you guys, you guys, does, what does that tell you guys? Do you guys want to get into that here? Any speculation? Andrew, well, my, you, my okay, mean, okay, okay, go ahead. Jeff. Go ahead. No, Andrew, go ahead. Andrew, go ahead. Uh, I'll wait till the next movie. I, I don't want to like, I don't want to be one of those guys that like freeze frames everything. I'm like, oh my God, this is exactly what happened. Cause they're pretty much going to change things the way that they want to change things in the next movie. And yeah, oh, I th- then you're on the wrong podcast, man. You're on, <laughs> yeah. wrong. I think it's worthwhile talking about. I think there is a relationship between Kylo Ren and Ray. Like how that relationship is in terms of family relationship, we're going to find out in the next movie or perhaps even episode nine. So I do think there's going to be this element of like he was spared by her. So there could be an opportunity in the next one where he spares her kind of like as a, a life debt. But that just highlights if he does that, why there's still such an element of conflict within him and highlights like he is still not fully on the dark side if that actually transpires yeah i think there's also a logic issue here too so i still think it's about the past when luke's order was wiped out by kylo ren and the knights of ren but then the age issue here is like if kylo would have been slightly younger and then maybe left and then he comes back as seemingly an adult let's even just say he's what 17 18 years old in that flashback we don't know and ray's supposed to be young how old is kylo supposed to be now i think there's a bit of a logic issue here because now she's grown up Uh, she's supposed to be what 17 18 in this movie so that's going to put another 10 years on kylo is that believable i got to look up these stills that really because i'm really curious about these melee weapons for these bodies because i know this this is kind of like going way off but i believe one of the recent star wars comics i don't know if this is when they got back they went back to marvel but one of the comics showed the early formation of the Jedi and before the lightsabers, they did use like standard melee weapons. I thought that was kind of neat. So I wonder, I mean, I don't, I seriously doubt they're going to go like thousands of years back in time and show the Knights of Ren. I just think that's kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting thing. But the fact that Ray is there, it doesn't necessarily mean that she's actually there. It's just more, she's just a witness of events. So I, I don't know if age really plays into a factor. And I kind of I feel like they're also older, Harry. I don't think that they're yeah, I don't really get the the sense that she's that young in this movie. Maybe early 20s, not late teens. Say, same with Kylo Ren. I'm kind of thinking mid 20s, although really that actor is probably like mid 30s. Yeah. Again, I'm going to have to dig into these uh, stills here to see obviously some very this is what we're meant to be doing right now because of how those scenes played out is we're like, what the fuck's going on? Like, we don't know, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing right now. So I guess mission accomplished there. As far as the age of the characters, yeah, I got the impression that Ray was, you know, 19 to 22. And there were the same age as Luke when we met him. And Kylo was probably, you know, 30-ish. Like, that's kind of the impression I get here. So, so maybe then it does make sense. 
I think that part makes sense. Like, yeah, he might be in his early 30s and she's in her late teens, early 20s. The, There's a 10 year yeah. difference there. That's the impression I get here. I mean, we'll find out, obviously. Oh, man, I don't know. This is, uh, that was, I, I like the, the, like the, the vision scenes here. I'm like, ah, oh, man, I need more. Like, they're, they're giving me little tidbits and I need more right now. And, you know, we're, we're going to get these, the, hopefully, we'll get the answers to all these questions later. Like, I didn't dwell on it too much because, this is obviously set up for what comes later. You know, we don't have these questions answered now, and I'm okay with that because, you know, obviously we have to we have to have some material for the next two films. So I'm content to to let it ride for now. Okay. No, and I agree. It was a great scene. I just wanted to throw some detail there. So let's move on into the plot. So again, I'm not sure in terms of timeline within the movie uh, when this exactly happened, but let's talk about it now. So while I believe Han and company are with Maz and Ray's having these visions, Hux has been ordered to use the Star Killer base to blow up a couple of planets or a, or a system which contains some planets. So let's talk about this. We also get the First Order Nazi-esque rallying scene where he's talking to all the stormtroopers and the and the agents of the First Order there. And let's talk about them destroying these planets. Were these planets of anything of significance? What are your thoughts here? I want to get everybody's thoughts. Andrew, how about you uh, go first? Well, when it came to the planet destruction, this is where like I really want to understand the political landscape because my first thinking when they destroyed the home of the Republic, I was like, oh, my God, they just destroyed Coruscant. They they wiped out the home of the Republic. That's what they did? Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't clear on that. So that that's where I was like, J.J. Abrams loves destroying planets for some reason. And here he was destroying Coruscant, which that's how I initially thought it was. But I think there was a line later on in the movie which indicates which planet they blew up, but it had nothing to do with Coruscant. Yeah, it did not. And from Wikipedia, I believe the planet is called Horison. Okay. So yeah, so that it's not I think Horison. Was as the new home of the Republic. It didn't have much weight to it. Like it's great to show like the destructive powers of this space station, but without any emotional attachment, it's similar to how people complain like with Alderon. You see Alderon blow up in the New Hope, you're like Okay, there's not that attachment, but like let's say in the prequels that they brought up like Alderaan a lot, there would have been much more impact of blowing up Alderaan than we had in the New Hope. I don't know. I found it it was like it was cool that it destroys planets, but it was like okay, we've seen this before. Okay, Nathan, your thoughts here? Yeah, I don't really feel like it had any weight. My initial reaction to seems like wait, are they destroying Coruscant? Because yeah, the, the the politics of this new world are very strange, which I'm sure we're going to get into. I did look this up after, but I guess the, I didn't look up the name of the planet, but I think in the New Republic, it is the homeworld of Mon Mothma that is the head, or like the, the main planet of the Republic. So is that the planet they destroyed? But again, there's no, there's no weight to this. I mean, it's like, okay, we, we see it. Yes, it's terrible that this is happening, but the stakes were just so low, right? It just felt like, and, and, you know, and they show all these people on the planet and I thought, okay, well, they're just trying to drum up a little bit of emotion because I just didn't really feel anything, unfortunately, for these poor people and these aliens being blown up. I did think the scene on the Starkiller base was pretty cool, the right? It looks really, scene. yeah, the rallying scene, it looks neat. I mean, it's very unnecessary, but I mean, hey, you got to build up morale, I guess. Again, like they kind of throw this idea at you and this is part of my problem with the movie is that, okay, now we have this star killer base, which is 
just a Death Star that with like a bigger firing distance, it feels like. And like I think they destroyed multiple planets at once. Yeah, yeah. they destroyed the system. The so I think it was a yeah. couple of planets and maybe a couple of moons that were. Yeah, exactly. Them. So but again, like it, it didn't feel like, oh, this is scary. Like, oh, there's a big threat now. It's like, OK, well, now we've got everything is 2.0 in this movie. You know, we've were okay. We talked about no, no, Yoda three, 2.0. We all, well, this Death Star is now 3.0. Well, I don't know. Like, the second Death Star could have been 1.2, right? And now we're moving to 2.0, right? That's how that's how these iterations work, right? Okay. So, <laughs> okay, we'll keep it but, consistent. 2.0, <laughs> okay, maybe 3.0. I'll give you that, Harry. But yeah, it, it didn't have a lot of gravitas to the scene. I mean, now we're seeing what the stakes are, right? But it felt flat for me in a way. It's cool to see, sure, but I mean, uh, you know, it was not it was not a huge reveal. <sighs> yeah, I like the I like the idea of the Star Killer base. I thought it was very cool, like this planet-wide, you know, destructive item that could destroy entire star systems. It was kind of it's a cool idea. I know it's obviously, you know, it's just a bigger Death Star, and that's a problem because, you know, we've we've done the Death Star twice. So now it's like, well, shit, how do we top that? Well, let's do a bigger Death Star and it can destroy just more shit. Uh, <laughs> I'm reminded of that old Star Wars rap. We got Death Star. We got Death Star. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like the name of it. Obviously, the you know, the callback to what was George Lucas's original name for Luke Skywalker, which was Luke Starkiller. That's kind of a neat homage to something that never actually existed. So I, I liked that. The look of the base is cool. But yeah, we they they needed to do something different with this, and they and they did. They just did something bigger, and that was well, that wasn't a good choice. Yeah, and they even make a joke about it later. Yeah, they do later, or it's like oh, there's always a base to blow up. Yeah, it's just bigger. Yeah, exactly. And like, uh, you know, just because the characters acknowledged it doesn't make it okay to do it. It doesn't have a lot of weight again because you know when they at least when they destroyed Alderaan. Leia had the connection to Alderaan, and we have the connection to Leia, so there's more emotional. Yes, and I was going to bring that up. So uh, this is just random, right? Yeah, this yeah. is just random, and nobody yeah. cares. And it's such nobody a uh, and it's like if you don't catch that him talking about it briefly, like I watched the movie twice, I missed Huck saying we're going after the home of the Republic or the importance of the planet. They destroyed Alderaan, no big deal. We didn't care. No, we did care. I, 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 we did care. We hundred yeah, percent cared because one, you're seeing. It's a slow burn of not only visually seeing the Death Star approach this planet, but you see the trickery of, which is a brilliant conversation between Peter mm. Cushing's Tarkin and yeah. Leia. I'm holding this over you. You don't give me that information. And then she gives the information, even though it's false, and but he then he, he doesn't care. He still blows it up anyways. And that's Leia's home world. So I completely disagree with you, Andrew. You're, you are wrong. That scene was very important. In a new home. Yeah. Harry Andrew. has spoken. Yes. Andrew is wrong. Andrew, you've been served. You are <laughs> Damn it. I knew this was... day would come. Yes. Harry! <laughs> I did it. <laughs> yeah. but I do uh, want to talk about uh, just the uh, the rallying scene there. I really loved that shot. Really showed the religious devotion these people have towards the First Order. That you know, we never really got that with the Empire, and that seems to be an important thread with the First Order. So that part, very, very cool. I really like that. I liked it visually. What Hux was saying didn't tell me or make me buy that these guys are now fanatics and they believe in the First Order. If I already see Finn having issues here, I have to assume that there are other 
stormies out there that have the issues but it was a cool scene to look at definitely evoked the images of the nazis and and i think that's what they were going for here but as you guys have mentioned i believe that there's no weight and gravitas to this scene i also think that there's a bit of a logic issue here does this planet move uh, good question. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Does it have I a could not figure. I couldn't figure that out. So, so if this is not moving like a death, like the other Death Stars, like the first one did and the second one would have, do these beams have hyperdrive? I'm a bit confused. Like, yeah. if it launches, you know, it's it's firing power in a stationary place. Wouldn't it take light years for it to yes. reach another destination? Would literally be light years. Because yeah. <laughs> we're not supposed to think about these physics in Star Wars, but. You're now presenting something to me that I'm having a problem with through logistics. But hold on, for the guys that have seen it, sorry, but for the guys that have seen this movie twice, the first time I was under the impression that somehow sucks out all the energy of the sun. Yeah, and that you'd have a supernova. And then it would be like yeah. uh, Star Trek Generations. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, this seems to be a bit of a design flaw. I also like how in our universe, like, Things when we build new iterations, they get smaller. But for some reason, in Star Wars, they always get bigger. <laughs> but but I, I mean, it, it seems like yeah, like they don't really say like how the base moves because I mean, if you're going to destroy all the nearby targets, then eventually you're just going to have like a, a bigger and bigger bubble, like this gulf that you have to cross in order to destroy new targets. It's it's really yeah, the the logic of it doesn't really add up. The name but, of it, Star Star Killer, would have make the assumption that it kills multiple stars. stars. Oh, yeah. <laughs> or else it's it, like, yeah. wow, we just blew our load on this one. Like, what are we doing? Well, it kills the star that it uses. Yeah, yeah and then they die. So yeah. that doesn't make a lot of sense. Well, they so. just soak up the sun. Like, it doesn't... Okay, but then how do they live up. beyond if the sun is gone? Not only will that destabilize... You'll get a supernova. We're not supposed to think about this. Star will just fly off. No, the they drain the star. There's nothing to go supernova. Okay, okay. Anyways, regardless, if that is even the case, that star is providing energy to all life on that planet. Sensibly, yes, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. So it must be able to move then, I guess. You the... would think so. So then I think it's a flaw in the writing of the movie to not explain that. I think they dropped the ball here a little bit. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think the physics of the Star Wars universe is... Slightly it's, different because okay. I'm still uh, based on this so movie. Wobbly, I believe anyway. parsecs okay, is still a is still a measurement of speed. Okay, but that that's just distance. a typo. That's just a typo. And they even make a joke. No, they of brought it, here. it up again. I know. I was they just going to say. No, they brought but it up there's again. an explanation for it, though. Fair we enough. didn't have to think about the physics in the original trilogy because the Death Star moved. That's good enough. Here, how is this planet moving? Is it a threat to the entire galaxy or the Star Wars universe if it's stationary? It must I, be. I, okay, so that was my question. We have to make the assumption it moves. but We have uh, to. I uh, think we have to. Yes. Yeah. So the First Order then attacks because they got from the spies, told them they were there. So First Order attacks Maskinata's bar and area. And we get the, the scene, Kylo Ren lands and he goes after Rey. We get Finn having a, a face-off. It's not a dance-off, but close to one with a Stormtrooper. <laughs> Storm- and locking, baby. Yeah, yeah. Especially with that first pose from the Stormtrooper. I loved it. Ren kidnaps Rey. And then, interesting enough, we have also the Resistance battle. Leia meets Han... And Maz suddenly disappears from the story after this attack. So let's have a chat here about all of this stuff. Yeah, I really enjoyed the battle between Finn and the and the Stormtrooper where he had the Electro Staff. You know, we saw the one battle between Obi-Wan and the the droids in Episode 3 there with, the, you know, a lightsaber and a non-lightsaber melee weapon. So that was, that was very cool. I thought that was a really good scene where Finn, you know, wields the lightsaber, even though he's not, or at least we don't... Th- believe he's force sensitive at this point um 
although the force is awakening so who knows that was very cool i really liked that that sequence there and then the uh the ground battle really worked for me i thought this was this is one of the highlights for me for the film the x-wing tie fighter battle over the surface was great and then the, what was happening on the ground there was emotional significance here like we care about the characters so the, the battle that they're doing here is uh, is great how about the scenes with ray and kylo yeah uh, again you know we see kylo's cool like force freeze power yeah there was a real threat here i loved when he you know brings the lightsaber down over her neck there like you know he's about to you know the threat of, of decapitation is real ah, ah man i loved it i really liked that scene i thought it was very very good very good yeah just to echo what jeff said i mean i think that this is a, a cool battle that has a lot of different elements going on it the editing is really good because we see the x-wing tie fighter battle intercut with the ground battle although i didn't look at the stormtroopers too closely but did finn encounter the one stormtrooper that has the anti-lightsaber weapon <laughs> although i did the one thing i kind of liked was that the, that stormtrooper called him out i don't know if he called him traitor i know later on yeah, kylo did. ren okay he did because i know Ky- I later did. on kylo ren calls out calls him out as a traitor which again i think shows a neat dimension to the first order and sort of that and their their way of thinking and yeah i liked kylo's power just to kind of go back to sort of jump back to the last thing we talked about but the one thing i liked was when han solo gave ray a blaster I don't know if you guys noticed when she kind of held it up and she's sort of squinting one eye. She looked like a 10 year old with a gun right there. <laughs> I it's, can't really do it for audio, but I mean, it was it was actually a really funny kind of neat character scene. I thought it's very quick, right? We don't dwell on it too much. But one thing that I thought I started thinking about was, is Finn a force sensitive character? I mean, I think at this point we already know that. Ray is a Force-sensitive character, but I was really unsure if Finn was Force-sensitive or not. I mean, the fact that he can use a lightsaber, I wasn't sure if that is part of standard Stormtrooper training. I can I answer imagine. that question if you want. Well, I, I think I have read something somewhere within after seeing the movie that is indeed part of the new Stormtrooper training, which I thought was kind yeah. of neat that it's now a callback the- to Ralph McQuarrie's initial paintings. Yeah, where he had the stormtroopers oh, and yeah. lightsabers. Yeah, yeah, where yeah. he had stormtroopers oh, carrying around lightsabers as well and shields. So, mm-hmm. yep. Oh, interesting. Well, okay. speaking of Ralph McQuarrie in the the bar, did you guys notice his original concept for C three PO was actually a character in the bar? Yeah. No. Which yes, which, which, I, which one's I, this? Uh, is a droid. The, yeah, the droid that has like, like a the giant star. Head. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, I oh, I didn't know that. That's a nice callback. One of Ralph McQuarrie's original paintings for or uh, drawings for C-3PO had C-3PO with like a weird star-shaped head. And that actually, that character was seen in oh, the, that right. little bar. I do remember that the next day when I was looking at stuff and someone had pointed that out. And because I remember that droid stood out quite a bit to me and I kind of threw it away as like, oh, okay, well, it's just a new droid. Overall, yeah, I think the, the stakes of this battle have, <laughs> oddly enough, more significance than the destruction of an entire system uh, just moments before. Yeah. And again, I, it kind of feels like there's real threat from Kylo Ren at this point. Sort of the, the longing scenes of Han Solo looking at Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren carrying away Rey in a real, like almost like a B-movie style, like Frankenstein carrying a woman away 
uh, sort of feel to it. Overall, like these scenes really worked and had a nice dynamic. And again, like with the battle in the sky, uh, what Jeff had said earlier, just like the way the camera works, like it feels like a real camera and they they would move the camera in such a way as though they were doing real model work. So you don't have like these crazy pull in, like like zoom in, zoom out all over the place. Plus also the way the, the X-Wings pull in over the, the sun and then the, or sorry, the TIE Fighters uh, oh, pulling man. it from the sun. That was a great scene. That was such a great shot. Fuck, it, it's crazy shot. because it's a very modern looking type of shot, right? You would never yeah. have had that type of shot in the original Star Wars movies, but it still feels Star Wars. Well, just because the tie wings are, are such a iconic Star Wars image. But then, of course, we, you know, we get the famous... Well, famous because the the movie trailer X wings coming over across the lake. Uh, great, great scene. Although a little bit too much acting from Poe, it feels like. Maybe I mean, so. Yeah, he's a little too enthusiastic. I felt. Well, I don't want to say the exact same things that Jeff and, and Nathan were talking about. The two things that really struck me in this scene, besides all everything they talked about, a was the demonstration of Poe Dameron's flying skills. Like they mentioned earlier, that he's the best X wing pilot or best pilot in the the Resistance. And holy hell, do you see it? Like in the one sequence where Finn is watching him, I think he downs either nine or ten TIE fighters, which is just insane. And so I really like that because one of the letdowns from the prequel, besides a couple of snippets, is that you hear in the original trilogy about how Anakin was one of the greatest starfighter pilots in the galaxy. And they didn't really show it in the prequel. So I like that. Like they mentioned that Poe Dameron is the best pilot and you absolutely see it. And just every sequence with the X-Wings in this entire movie were done really well. And that image of them coming across the water and then the TIE fighters as well with the sun was just spectacular. But to me, what also struck me was that the force powers of Kylo Ren are, they're cerebral, but they're much more, I don't want to say horrific, but there's a hell of a lot scarier than anything that we've really seen before because there's this lack of control where she really wants to move that blaster, but he's holding it, and it's just this frightening scene. Gosh, like that whole sequence, that battle was just so well done. I think this is probably my favorite action beat in the movie, with the whole X-Wing squadron resistance coming in to save the day. Uh, it, it's a beautiful dogfight scene, and the cinematography was great. I hate to nitpick, but then how does Finn know that's Poe downing those fighters? Because you mentioned... That was crazy, because I thought, like, because I, I Oh, that's something? one hell of a pilot! And obviously he's referring to Poe, but how does but he, he doesn't know that's know, Cole? He doesn't know that's him. That's like when they get no, back he doesn't to the base. Know. He doesn't know. He just says that's one hell of a pilot, but he doesn't but know. But how him. does he even know that? I mean, it's such a bizarre... Well, no, he's, he's watching. He's say. like, that's a one hell of a pilot. The X-Wing's a completely different color. It's a black... He no. sees the black Starfighter, and so when they get to the base, he runs straight to that Starfighter to figure out who it is. And then he sees Poe. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. And then that's, yeah, that's the what connection I thought, is. I, I'm yeah, between because I was really confused because I, I agree with you, Harry, that the scene plays out that way. It's like he's making it. Oh, yeah, that that's one hell of a pilot. It, it's so weird because why are you paying attention to the sky? It was so strange. Well, I guess he just did kill those stormtroopers like that. But it was weird. It was kind of weird because then, yeah, then after it's like, oh, yeah, I thought you were dead. Uh, I, I got to see the movie about uh, seven or eight more times at least before I can <laughs> definitively say. But well, OK, let me continue. So Kylo in Ray scenes, I agree. Andrew, you, you put it a little bit well here that it's kind of horrific. Like these scenes are I do like their interaction there. And then he had his equivalent of a, a Vulcan nerve pinch by just the uh, hand waving over the over the head and made her faint. So that was interesting. What did you guys think of the Han Solo scenes here? With him firing, oh, I like this thing, the bowcaster. A bit of a 
warning sign in terms of, again, a bit of just the dialogue here. Just it, I didn't get sold on this stuff. And then I also want to ask you guys, then the resistance comes. So why don't we get into it now? Why are they called the resistance if they work for or a part of the Republic? And then we can talk about the state of the galaxy because it's a bit unclear. So how about we start with Andrew? You go first this time. I have no idea why they're called the resistance. You make a really good point. Like if the Republic is the current and there's something said later on mentioning in regards to the Republic lying to people by secretly backing the resistance. I don't really get the political landscape here. Like it just seems like rebels is still a very applicable term for the resistance. And also the integration of the First Order in the grand scheme of things, a lot is just left so unexplained that I think to try and explain it right now, I'd rather just wait for the next movie and perhaps even the third one before trying to figure it out. Do you feel that they should have had something in here to kind of at least give you an idea of what the state of the galaxy is? Because I think you could keep it simple. I think George did it really well in A New Hope because you knew the Empire had control over everything. They even make that statement that the Emperor dissolved the Senate. Regional governors will take care of everything. They'll control by fear. And all you had was the rebels fighting against them. Here, it's a bit confusing and you're left wondering what the hell is going on i think it could have been explained through like maybe like a two or three minute exposition by one of the characters explaining like to someone how the empire transitioned into the first order i think it is a gap but i'm going to trust that it will be revealed in a way at a time where it'll shed some light on it it's going to be one of those that were like could have had this earlier, but it's going to leave us pondering for the next year and a half before we see the next one. A couple things. First off, because you kind of were asking about the stuff with Han Solo, if that works, I would say no. Some of those lines, I don't feel they work. But, you know, we have a situation here where we're revisiting characters that we have not seen for 30 years. So we haven't seen them grow into what they are now. So it's kind of like watching the first season of a television series and then watching the seventh season with the same characters, right? So, I mean, it, it's a little bit of a jarring juxtaposition, it, it feels like, because we feel like, oh, Han Solo should be the same guy. Do you find that well, it's I kind of feel jokey, like we need though. to, it's a little too jokey. I think we actually need to quickly talk, not maybe right now, we'll do this at the end. I think we need to talk about Harrison Ford's performance overall. Yeah, just very quickly. Yeah, it, it's a little too jokey. The political state of the galaxy, I mean, man, we're just into it now, but it is confusing as hell. And I had to look this up the next day after I saw the movie. And there are comic books that are the official explanation for this. And I was still confused because if the now apparently in the comic books, after some period of time, the New Republic, which for time was led by Mon Mothma and a new Senate, they actually signed a peace treaty with the remnants of the empire which are now the first order but i don't understand where the resistance fits in and then at some point there's a thing with han solo trying to figure out how the first order was running supplies across republic lines because i guess in space there are boundaries of course you know it's, it's really Control weird zone. oh boy oh man don't even get me started on that but um it's a really odd explanation which it will be very unfortunate if they are relying on people looking up other forms of media to figure it out because i was confused as hell and normally i eat this shit up they go over it so quickly you don't even have time to think about it 
And it was only after the fact that I was really starting to think about it. But during the movie, I was a little bit confused. But that's me, a Star Wars fan. I don't know if I would go so far as say it's a failure as it's a quibble. The other thing, though, with the movie is that there are other points in the movie where they don't explain stuff and it feels like they will explain it in a future movie. There's a lot of things about race past that we don't understand, which we'll get into but they're presented in such a way that they will be revealed at a future date. And so I'm kind of thinking that there will be more stuff about the battle between the resistance and the first order and what the Republic is. Oh my God. I'm, I'm confusing myself. I mean, it's just, <laughs> but yeah. Okay. It, as a broad stroke. Yeah. I, I would say it's a big fail of the movie to not explain these things. Whereas it was a very clear in the original movies. And it's crazy because in the the original expanded universe, it was very clear about how and it's actually very similar, which I thought was interesting, where the first order is what in the expanded universe used to be called the remnants, which was still like a very powerful force, but still the Republic under like sort of the, the leadership of what came out of the resistance like that was just the new galaxy order. These are the things that kind of get a little confusing with the movie, but I don't think it's a, a big they move so quickly. I don't think it's a huge problem. It'd be a bigger problem if they don't explain it further. It's not taxing trade routes. It's not like that, but it's it's getting close. Okay, Jeff, do you agree with Nathan's assessment there? Yeah, I, I mean, I do have a problem with the explanations we're given or the lack thereof. I mean, this is probably stuff that could have been easily dealt with in the opening crawl. I was going to um, say the same thing. I think you can yeah. resolve this problem with one paragraph in the opening crawl. Yeah. So it's disappointing that we don't get that. I mean, from what I've heard from, I mean, I haven't looked anything up on the internet, but from what I've you know heard from you guys from, from talking about it, I think I can kind of piece together like the, you know, if the Republic, the new Republic exists as a treaty with the remnants of the empire, which is now the first order, but the first order, because the first order is seeking to destroy the Jedi uh, and, and find Luke Skywalker, that the, res- the impression I get is that the resistance is formed to combat this threat from the first order, covert support from the new Republic. That's about where I'm at. I'm pretty sure we're not getting further explanation of the political situation in the next two episodic no. films uh, here. I don't, I don't, I don't the resistance that. is Al-Qaeda is what we're really saying here, guys. Is that not what we're saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Yikes. Yeah, well, shit. That, um, is the, that is the political situation flipped on its head. There, the Force boom, Awakens, the new propaganda just, film for ISIS. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, I don't know. I wouldn't go so far as that. But, uh, well, we do get a... (laughs) The films are not going to give us any more explanations, so... And I'm pretty confident, Jeff, that I... And I agree with you. I think that they are so scared. And this is something... I'm going to use the term now. It's just one word. They played it safe. So they're so scared of revisiting any of the topical points from the prequel trilogy that they didn't even want to address it at all. And that certainly could be. I would I would definitely believe it if that was the explanation is like we don't want to get into the politics because that was one of the trappings of the of the prequel trilogy. So but that's crazy. Uh-huh. Why but, make it as confusing as it is? Yeah, as well, it, it was I, in the extended exactly. universe made sense. Right. And it was well, a but, yeah, but in the, progression in the expanded of the, universe, though, well, they had many novels and comic books and video games and all of that to kind of flesh it out. Like, yeah, it was well described in the expanded universe, but they also had unlimited real estate in order to explain it. Whereas here we have two hours and 20 minutes could have been done in the opening crawl though. And that's too bad that, I mean, they had other things they need. They felt that were more important to explain in the opening crawl. Uh, all of that being said though, 
I don't know. It, it's not it's not killing it for me right now, but it, it would be nice to know what the political situation is because you know through the original trilogy. I mean, obviously, it's a rebellion against the empire. So to know what the extent of their success or failure was, the success or failure was of the rebellion. Like they they killed the empire. They just you know they destroyed the Death Star. So what happened then? I I mean. Obviously, I mean, it's been 30 years, so it's it's hard to cover all of that. And if Disney wants to leave that to the other media to explain, I guess I can understand that. I mean, shit, we, there's a lot to fit into this film here. But it is a, I'm not going to say it's a failure of the film, but it is a problem for me at this point. It's too bad that we didn't get a little bit more here. Okay, so gents, let's quickly move on. It's an extension of the scene. So the resistance, once Ren takes Ray, they leave because he thinks uh, he senses she's seen the map. So doesn't need BB-8. So he takes off. The resistance comes and starts landing. And then we finally get to meet Leia. And Han gets to see Leia. And we also get C-3PO's introduction here. I thought it was well done. I liked it because you could tell that something really bad had happened between Leia and Han. Like there was this... The chemistry was there, even though their scene was quite short and they didn't really say too much to each other. Like it really shows how like Han didn't want to deliver them to Leia to begin with because he didn't want to hurt Leia. Like he just wanted to stay away from her as much as possible. And you can see that pain. C3PO being thrown in, like a lot of fan service was done throughout this movie. Like, yeah, C3PO was a character in the previous two trilogies. He didn't really play that much of a role in this one. I like the interaction. I like Chewie. I thought it was a really great reintroduction of this couple that was a, a big part of the original trilogy. So Carrie Fisher, I, I think they tried to limit the amount of acting that she needed to do, uh, given how crazy she's gone over the last 25 years. But I still think it you saw the chemistry between her and Harrison Ford. Yeah, I think sort of echo what Andrew was saying there. I mean, probably the, the thing that broke them apart was Leia's heavy smoking habits uh, over the last <laughs> 30 years. I mean, I make a joke. I mean, um, Carrie Fisher has not acted in probably 25 years other than in roles where she is herself, right? So, I mean, you know, like actor, I mean, one of the thing with Hollywood actors is that they do try to maintain a certain continuity of how they are, including their voice. I found her voice, like, it was very jarring. Yeah, it was a bit hear. rough. It was a bit rough. Yeah, yeah, it was a bit rough. But, you know, I mean, that's, I understand the reality of the situation, right? I mean, she has not been an actor. Yeah, I'm sure so many actors, I mean, they go, they do so many things to sort of maintain how they are. I don't think their chemistry was as good as the original movies, but I think that there was still a bit of a spark there. I liked the way that Harrison Ford played up almost like his weird embarrassment about the situation is like, I... It almost felt like they had some sort of agreement to not see each other that she didn't agree to and he decided on. So it was a nice reunion. You know, the weirdest thing was 3PO. I felt like at one point I said, wait, is he CGI? It was weird because like his whole... No, he wasn't, though. But I mean, at one point, like it felt like there was something different about him and not the red arm. He seemed a little fatter. (laughs) Honestly, like I I think Anthony Daniels was pretty thin when the first one came out. This one just seemed he seemed a little uh, not that that hasn't happened to. Yeah, I can. I can. Actually, the the one thing I thought I, I immediately thought is like, is his metal skin smoother? Does he have like just junk on him and there's just like more of a duller sheen around him? I don't know. Well, I mean, you can um, have different plating. Who knows? Oh, I, I get a red arm. 
He did, yeah. Yeah, overall, I think that these are some nice scenes. You know, we, I don't know, a little exposition. Again, I mean, they're they're a little forgettable for someone who's only seen it once. But at the time that I saw them, I felt that they more or less worked. And this was actually the only time in the movie where I noticed the music. I mean, it's a throwback. I don't know. I'm not saying it, it was good or, or inspiring, but um, it is the only time where I noticed it. Okay, Jeff, your thoughts. They had the chemistry. The chemistry was there, and that was pretty cool to see. It was an okay scene. The dialogue was, it wasn't poor. Uh, it wasn't great. Yeah, um, I would say the same. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're much older here, right? So it's going to be a different dynamic. So it made sense. Like, I didn't feel it was out of place, but it was just okay. And, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Carrie Fisher, it's been a long time since she's acted in a role. I mean, it reminded me of Karen Allen's appearance in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and it was much better than Karen Allen's oh, appearance. Oh, yes, by far. Yeah. 100% agree. Uh, so that was... that was By really several neat. parsecs better. Yeah, right? by several parsecs. <laughs> So that was, this is that what I was saying before, sense. like this is kind of like where you're watching a TV show where you're watching the characters on yeah. season one and then you immediately jump to season seven. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of in between that we were not getting. So it feels jarring. But I think, you know, we have to kind of keep that in mind that it has been so long for these characters. Right. Yeah. It was consistent with the state of Han Solo at this point, though, as well. I mean, we can see that he's kind of gone back to the smuggler life and he's sort of reverted to his uh, pre original trilogy form in some respects. So it was consistent there. And she's kind of in it to just be in it at this point. She doesn't really serve a great purpose. Maybe she'll have a larger role to play in the other in the next two films. But it was it was fine, though. I mean, it was fun. It was not I was not taken out of it at this point. I just it, it wasn't it wasn't more than, you know, what it was. I like the scene. They still had chemistry. There was a bit of a spark there, but I felt the dialogue felt a bit flat. They could have been written better. I did love C-3PO's uh, interjection between the two. I thought that was really funny. I'm surprised you guys are pointing out that he's heavier and fat. Whether that may be true or not, I didn't notice it. I thought Anthony I Daniels... Huh? Yeah, I, I honestly he thought he was CGI for a moment, to be no, honest. Yeah, I, think, I think the reason I say that is just because his abdomen looked like it was lacking a lot of the electrical components that I think we've seen in the past. So he seems more streamlined, which makes him fatter. That makes no sense whatsoever. Okay. I'm just going to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, but I did enjoy this one scene. I laughed out loud. I think most of the audience loved this scene here, too. And Rufio says, Han Solo, remember me? It's all that stuff. Even though I'm not saying it right, I forget the dialogue, but I thought it was funny. So why don't we get back to the base? So the heroes go back to the resistance base and we're kind of in parallel. Kylo Ren is attempting to get the plans or the map from Rey. So he's doing his mind rape on Rey. And then we can also throw in Rey's escape here. So why don't we kind of combine all of these scenes and let's give our thoughts here. So the stuff back at the base and their plan for attacking the Starkiller base and all that stuff. And then Rey and Kylo and Rey's escape. Jeff, you start first, please. Well, actually, before anyone starts, Harry, I know you've got the trivia. Throw out the trivia on her escape, please. Throw out the trivia? Yeah. Oh, I'm not 100% sure what you're referring to, but are you referring to Daniel Craig as the stormtrooper? Yes. Okay. I, well, you almost kind of ruined it by, yes. I mean, <laughs> by saying it no, that I just, way. Yeah. I, is I, that I, actually confirmed? I heard. No, I I, in JJ fact, he denied, he denied it. Yeah, I think Daniel it Craig is confirmed. denied it. It's confirmed? By it is confirmed. By whom? No, no, no. I've read in the last uh, the last day or so that that is confirmed as well, I thought Daniel it was Craig. denied, but anyways, it's all good. 
Oh, okay. Well, okay. I guess I'm the one who ruined it. I don't know. <laughs> so I okay. just wanted to get it out of the way, actually. So it could be true. Maybe they're just gonna, you know, oh, I'm, keep I'm, it up I'm, their sleeve, and that'll be interesting. I'd love it if it was true. Uh, the escape by Ray, where she uses the the Jedi mind trick. Yeah, I, I I was into that. I thought it was very interesting. I'm wondering where she thought that she'd be able to do that. I mean, obviously, she's starting to realize that she can use the Force. It is. I thought it was here's what I thought was interesting about it. It was consistent with the concept of the force from the original trilogy, but inconsistent with the concept of the force from the prequels. Because in the prequels, like you gotta have all this training and it takes decades to learn all these uh, fancy dancy tricks. Whereas in the original trilogy, like, you know, you could, if you believe strongly enough, you could do these things that the Jedi could do. And that uh, was kind of what she came to. That's the point that Ray came to. I'm going to disagree with you, Jeff. I think that while you can let in the Force and some things will happen, you still need some element of training. Luke struggled. Yeah, he struggled with struggle, but nobody trained him. Okay, but but here's the thing. Here's the thing. And we can get into it now if you want. One of the things that bugs me in this movie is how quickly and how perfect the character of Ray is. Even though I like her character, there's no struggle there for her. She can do anything. She can fly amazingly. She can repair anything amazingly. Okay, fine. The other movies had similar things like that, but she seems to be way beyond that. And I think maybe part of her backstory is maybe she was kind of a youngling before she was abandoned or before that attack of Luke's Jedi Order happened. But now we're talking about all these other things that she can do. And we'll get into it as we continue. I'm not sure I like how quickly all of these things are coming. I think it's a bit contrived and it's a bit too quick and a bit too easy. That's just me. But I mean, go ahead. I yeah, just wanted no, to throw I, it in there. I mean, these are, I think these this is a big are, problem of the movie right here for me. I mean, these are reasonable. I mean, there's certain, these are certainly reasonable questions that you're, that you're bringing up. I mean, well, I don't know that she, uh, yeah, that's a, the character is portrayed uh, without any flaws, man. Yeah, well, so was Luke Skywalker. No, he wasn't. He had flaws. What flaws did he have in A New Hope? Well, he couldn't fly. Other than being a little white. Like, okay, well. He was a little bitch. That was his problem. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, guys. No, no, but I mean, I mean, you know, like Luke was, uh, I mean, Luke had, I can't remember the flaws that Luke had in, in A New Hope. You know, he was able to fly an X-Wing that he'd never flown before. And we were given to believe that he was a great pilot and that, that worked fine. He was able to destroy the Death Star. And okay, we were so- like, believe that nobody else was able to do that because he was using the force. I mean, these are okay. Uh, but you know, when you're talking about, when you're starting to talk about convenience currency, all Luke was able to do in the first one is he initially shown he was struggling, say with that remote control thing, and he still needed some more guidance from Obi-Wan. So then he finally gets it. Okay. He has not shown to do anything else until at the end when he just used the force to concentrate. And then you could talk about destiny. You could, I don't think he physically guided those missiles in. He no, was just I, able I don't to. Think so, either, right? so, so, okay, but then Even now, they turn at a 90 degree angle to go down that tube, which is a little unusual. Yeah, but that's just an effect shot. So, I don't, I, well, let, let's just. No, it, that was magnetic fields. It guides them yeah, down it, it guides because down. of magnetic fields. I buy that explanation a lot more. But, well, here, I buy it. but, but the point is, is all Luke did was one thing or one or two things. Here, Ray's doing everything. And we'll get into it later that she's able to use telekinesis to call the lightsaber. She's able to just let the force in and take out Kylo Ren. We'll get into that later. All I'm saying here is I'm having a problem with the character of Rey, not how she's acted, but how she's portrayed. She's a li- Things come too easy for her. She succeeds a little too easy. There's not enough of a struggle there. I mean, I'm not talking about her life as a scavenger. I'm talking about yeah, no, just the events since the then. Force, 
the, the force is coming a little too easily and she's able to use it very proficiently yeah, without it, any yeah. training. Yeah, yeah. Or, or even without a struggle. I mean, I know she's able to do it on her second or third try, the Jedi mind trick here, but still, I'm even wondering how she even knew that was a possibility because later she even says, I don't even know how I did it. The only reason why I think she thought it was a possibility is because Kylo was trying to extract information from her mind. So maybe she could make that leap. I'm not saying that's exactly what happened. I mean... Again, it, you know, I don't know. I'm going to need to see your midi-chlorian count before I can say for sure <laughs> how, how she was able to do this stuff. I mean, uh, it's off the charts, that midi-chlorian yeah, count. Yeah, it it, it's going to break Obi-Wan's female leg razor detector. Okay, but continue. It's legit questions you've got, though. I mean, I'm going to give you that. I mean, yeah, it, it's I, I don't want to say it's like it's there's no struggle, but. Uh, she's definitely demonstrating a high level of power for somebody who we presume doesn't have any training with the Force. Yeah, like you see how long it takes Luke to really get good at using the Force in the original trilogy. And I echo Harry's concerns. Like this comes very quickly, but I think there's the backstory that's going to be revealed, which will shed some light onto how she's able to do this as proficiently as she's doing it now. I don't think it's just for story purposes and it's JJ mimicking, hey, look, all of a sudden Captain Kirk is Captain Kirk after saving the planet. Uh, like, I don't think it's like that. I don't think he's progressing the story. Uh, we'll I'm see. just doing this to, to, to bug So Harry. what you're saying is that she is Captain Kirk's daughter. Is that's, that's what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, she just gets Crossover. from point. No, no, but this is a legitimate point. Those Star Trek movies had the characters go from point A to point Z in, in a snap of a finger. Without See, a struggle think, there. And so it's appropriate that we have the director for Fast and Furious on yeah. the next Star Trek. Welcome to the Star Trek podcast, everybody. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I, I think once we find out more about Ray's past, because there are so many different conflicting messages in this movie trying to hint at who her family is, who her parents are. I think that will give us some insight as to how she's able to pick this up very quickly. I, I, I agree. I think that's story. the key. Yeah. So we have to see. This is during like, the during the interrogation, Kylo Ren mentions she is dreaming or thinking of an island in the middle of the ocean. Yet that's like exactly what happens when she goes to the Jedi Temple. Like that's exactly how it looks like when she gets there at the very end. So is that the past or is that the future? Like I think that's where for story purposes, once we find out her past, everything is going to really come together. Maybe. Yeah. But and I'm just saying for this movie, it's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Jeff, continue because we cut you off. So let's move on from Ray's escape here. We still have the stuff back at the Resistance base, their plan of attacking the Starkiller base. R2, they talk about even R2 being asleep and he can't wake up since Luke is gone. You could talk more about Leia meeting Finn and more Leia Han scenes here. What are your thoughts here? I mean, this is the weakest part of the film for me. As we said before, you know, just because Han Solo acknowledges that it's just another base that needs to be blown up and like, well, there's always a way to bring the shields down. That doesn't excuse the filmmakers from using this whole beat again from A New Hope. Again, I kind of like the idea of the Starkiller base, but we're rehashing here. And I know that like the whole film to this point has relied very heavily on the structure of A New Hope. And I've been absolutely fine with it because, it, you know, they've done some kind of, some different things here and there. And this isn't anything different. It's just larger. And that bothers me. So these scenes here are not great. The fact that R2-D2 is in... Power saving mode. Ah, okay, I guess it's okay. I guess it's all right. 
you know, but it, this is definitely where they're where the narrative is struggling. Well, yeah, just to Jeff's point about R2 there, that is very weak, I think, because then it's also very convenient when he wakes up at the end. As to many of the scenes with Ray and Ken Rilo, I like them. I think you can kind of explain away some of these things by the fact that her parentage is a little obscured. I think it is a very poor thing, though, even though I love this movie, I think it is a very poor form to say, okay, we'll explain it in the next movie, right? That's why you get a lot of crappy movies where it's like, okay, we're going to set up all these things and we're just, we'll explain in the next movie. Because my impression initially was that, oh, well, maybe she kind of has some training because my thoughts were that it's not like she doesn't really not remember where she comes from. But then later on, like she expresses her inability to, to explain what it was that she, what it was that she did. And not just with the scene with the stormtrooper, but later on with the lightsaber fight. And it's all very cool, but we're also coming up against this thing of modern storytelling. So I think that what the thought may have been was like, okay, well, if we don't make her, the intention, I think, is to make her the main character in the way that Luke was the main character by saying, okay, well, we can't just have her running away and being a scared girl. We need to give her true power. So fuck it, whatever. Okay. She's going to Jedi mind, mind trick the, the stormtrooper. And then later on, I know we haven't really talked about the fight scene in detail, but, and can suddenly use a lightsaber. So that's the way I sort of explain it as that these two things of trying to make the character, the character interesting and also make her modern because they are boring all the beats from the original trilogy, but they can't make her like Luke, who had no lightsaber battle in the first movie, not including the droid. It works when I don't think about it. It kind of bugs me a little bit. <laughs> I, I know, Harry, I do agree with you. I think this is, this is a problem with the movie, but I think what happened was that they got about two-thirds of the way through this movie and said, well... And they knew, they know who Ray is in their minds, right? They've planned this all out. And they got to this point where they haven't explained anything. And there may be scenes where they did actually film it and they just cut it in the best way they possibly could. Oh, the fact that she says, she kind of says, well, I don't really remember the scene that well, but she seems sort of surprised that she could do it. So as to what Jeff was saying earlier, is like, how did she really know that this was a possibility that she could do it? It's really odd. And that's a real problem. They, they should have cut it down to the point where it should have seemed a little bit more ambiguous. They should have actually made it seem as though she kind of knew these things. Either that Because the Jedi or mind trick e is not really a thing that seemed to be common knowledge in Luke's time. Yeah. Play devil's advocate. They could have just reworked the scene and just have her escape like through some anxiety, like loosen her cuffs or something along those lines where she didn't intend to do that. She's thinking about it. It plays logically in the scene. She's tied down with these cuffs or whatever on that table chair thing. And then she says she's looking at it and says, I need to get out. I need to get out. And then it just opens. I think I think the problem with that, I don't disagree that that's uh, not a possibility in a way it could play it out. But I think part of when they're making this movie, we are in a real as you know, four guys sitting around microphones talking about this. We are in a real era of when filmmakers have to be more cognizant of their female characters. And so I will bring up the latest Hunger Game movies again, where the main character Katniss 
kind of it just moves from set piece to set piece with no true agency. So I don't disagree that logically your idea would make more sense. But I think that they are saying, you know what, we can't just have her be a hysterical girl kind of doing things, but not really understanding it. I think the idea behind this is to give her character more power, more agency. Logically, it doesn't really work. Logically, your idea plays out more, but I think there's a bit more of a, a more modern angle to this. I think that, uh, and again, I, I'm talking sure. about serving many masters, many masters that they have to serve. So yeah, when you, I, I, it's a good point because when you talk about many masters, where I was going with this is, in my opinion, it's another throwback and they used it to inject some humor into the scene. Oh, I, I, I agree. I think it, I mean, the scene on it, on its own kind of plays out, but I think they should have set up the scene a little bit better or at least remove the scene where she doesn't know. Like it should have maybe, they should have left it a little bit more because they do leave out her origin. They, they leave her origin a little bit ambiguous. So it would have been, would have worked a little bit better if they leave you thinking, well, does she have some Jedi training in some way? Not to jump ahead, but I kind of think that might be the case. Yeah, maybe. How about you quickly give us a couple minutes here on your thought about their plan to attack the Starkiller base or the stuff back at their headquarters? Talking about the weakest point of the movie. I mean, I was I don't want to say enraged, but this was the most blatant fan service I felt like. I mean, they even say it in the movie. It's like, oh, whatever, another bit. Because the crazy thing was like the whole plan of you fly hyperspace beyond their shield. So why did the Millennium Falcon have to go first? Why don't they just all go in and do that if they're all great pilots in the end? Yeah, good point. I wrote down a whole list of like the cynic and me wrote down a whole list of things that like call outs to the original films, the emotional. So they're just trying to hit. And this was one of them. I mean, the idea to to kind of hit them, I felt like this is not terribly original. I understand that there is sort of a I remember, Jeff, you sort of said to me that Lucas had said this, that there is sort of a, a, a poetic symmetry between all these films. And so, yeah, I get it. Like we're going to hit many of the same beats. But I feel like that should apply to beats of family and, and, and character motivations and, and character motivations. Not specific, super, super weapon. And we're going to not only do we got to fly in, we've got to do a whole fucking trench run. It's not that just going there to blow it up. It's a full on trench run. You know, and not only that, but we have a full, well, I don't know if I feel this is truly a bad story point, but like a whole Death Star saving the girl sequence. I know they kind of turn on its head a little bit, but yeah, I'm a little conflicted about whether or not this truly works or not. I mean, it, it seems a natural progression of the movie, but I cannot decide if this is just them saying, let's give the fans what they want. Another trench run. Andrew. Yeah. When it comes to Starkiller Base, this is where I was let down. Like, it's exciting. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. It, it was a fun sequence to watch. But really, you're like, they came up with this again? Ray's Escape actually didn't bother me too much. Um, I think it's more the intrigue about the character and wanting to find out how she knows how to pull this off. So I don't think it was something that it well, it's definitely not something that bugs me too much. For me, it's just the Starkiller base assault. That's to me is like, I'm not upset and I'm not losing any sleep over this. It was just one of those like you're in the movie, like this is going to be cool. But come on, guys, this is the third time you're blowing up a Death Star, except this one's bigger. And you can't tell me like this one little power conduit is going to destroy an entire planet. Like 
it just and the trench run that was the one that got me the most i i really echo nathan's comments because like it was okay the assault on that, that little base but then when they actually did that little mini trench run heading into it and then they duplicated the death star 2 scene where he shot proton torpedoes at all the supports and the thing just blew up it's a fun sequence but because we've already been treated to sequences like that in the past it, it, it diminishes the the effect of of this particular scene and that's where i go back to our original trilogy podcast and I kind of want to change some of my comments when it comes to A New Hope being a standalone film. And you guys have talked about like modern storytelling and like the need to leave things off the audience just so like they want to come back and see more. I would have liked more of a standalone approach to this movie. I agree. And, yeah. And it's fun. And that's where like we're all Star Wars nerds. We love it. We know the backstory. That's why it makes it so much more enjoyable. But for someone who's new to the franchise... That's where I would have liked to have seen more unique storytelling to bring in new fans that perhaps hadn't seen A New Hope. Because imagine bringing someone who'd never seen the original Star Wars to this movie to be like, oh, okay, there's a lot of explosions and it's kind of cool, but I don't get 75% of what's going on. And it, Starkiller just seemed like lazy story writing. I agree. I'll revert back. We're talking about at the base of their discussion of defeating the Starkiller base. Yeah, it's a replay of A New Hope, as we've talked about. So I mean, why are we going down this route again? I think J.J. and Kasdan wanted to play this movie very safe. So that's why we are going over these plot points again. But I want to give props to Carrie Fisher here. Judging from fan reaction on the internet, I think a lot of people really didn't like her performance, but I liked her performance at the base here, especially when she's thanking I think Finn. people disliked her voice more than anything is what it is. I think okay. her performance was just good. I'll even say that her voice here also sounded better when she's thanking Finn and saying, any information you can give us would be greatly helpful. That sounded like original trilogy Carrie Fisher to me. So I liked that performance. I liked her interaction with Finn. But some of the dialogue around the Death Star and revealing that weak spot again was pretty bad. I got a laugh and a chuckle out of when they, they said, oh, this was the original Death Star. Now, this is the new one, and it's massively bigger. I got a chuckle. It reminded me of Crocodile Dundee. It's like, that's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. That was the first thing that popped in my head. I actually laughed out loud. I was like, oh, really? That would have been great if they had him as like a, like a general there in the room. <laughs> wearing, wearing the hat and, you know, his like uh, dungaroos or whatever. I don't know. Oh. <laughs> but I'm surprised. I think that dialogue has been pretty good but there are some of the scenes here is just really bad and then i know they're throwing it as a joke that han solo oh there's always a way to destroy these things so i didn't like that but i did like the i'm sure you guys noticed it the uh cameos of akbar and, and nim num but i wish there were more going to the red and ray scene not a fan of her escape with a mind trick we already talked about that and then we even have Ren having a, another temper tantrum. I think we touched upon that before, so that wasn't very good there. The one where the stormtroopers yeah, walk away. Walk and, away. Yeah. yeah. Again, I think they're playing these things a little bit for laughs. I'm not sure if it's true to the character. Maybe we'll see. Is it showing that he's just out of control? Do you need two scenes of this? Because I think one scene was enough. Well, that's just me. So let's move on with the plot. So Han, Chewie, and Finn go to the base. They use light speed to get through the shields, as we talked about. So let's talk about their infiltration there. Andrew, how about you start first? I think it was J.J. Abrams attempting to bring Star Trek into Star Wars by making it the Picard maneuver when he used the Stargazer at light speed <laughs> to, to defeat the Ferengi Marauder. <laughs> No, I didn't mind it. I thought it was pretty cool. I'm curious in regards to the mechanics of how, like, jumping out of light speed right before the planet will help them beat the shields, whatever. I like the interplay, too, as they're coming up to the base. Little comments like, 
oh, you're cold and like Chewie complaining about it. Yeah, I liked the uh, how the – this is not how the force works. <laughs> yeah. that, that was a great scene. I love that scene where Finn just says, best oh, I'm just going to go use the, the force. Yes, I agree. That interplay between them might be the best line in the movie. That joke worked. Yeah, it was like it was the passing of the torch for Han Solo to Finn, like just those interactions. So I like the character aspect of it, the action sequence, like how they met up at this base that's the size of a planet and how they conveniently put Ray near the most critical location of the planet. Coincidence? Yes, but um, I like the character character development at this point. The interactions were, I think, what made these scenes. Yeah, I felt some of the character interactions. Yeah, and that that was a great line with the Force. I think that was the line that kind of made the movie. I do like the fact that even though they go, part of their mission is to rescue Ray, but she doesn't need rescuing. You know, because she's more powerful than the others, that's debatable. But she is a strong character on her own. So we don't, we kind of get a callback to the Princess Leia rescue scene. But they, you know, these fumbling fools kind of show up and she's already on the ball with it. The one problem I had, and a character we have not talked about, is Captain Phasma. This was the character I was most excited about for this movie. And these scenes killed it for me in a negative way because... I did not like how they were able to get her to drop the shield so quickly. There was, they may as well just had a random stormtrooper do it. I mean, it did not do service to the buildup of this character that I was the one I was most looking forward to. Overall, pretty standard. I mean, there was no true surprises here up until, you know, when they're setting off the charges, which I'm sure we'll talk about next. But I kind of felt, you know, Andrew said a real passing of the torch. I didn't really think about before, but I think that's very apt thinking about it now is that this is a real, he's right. This is a real passing of the torch from Solo to Finn. There are many differences between these characters, but I think they have sort of a similar arc where they, in their mind, a trajectory of their life where they want to go, but they're swept up in bigger events in their life and they get involved in things that are bigger than themselves. And I think it's a a nice passing. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I didn't love you know, the You should stop right there. Just all your humming and humming, like, ah, like, come on. I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> oh, that says it all uh, right there. Uh, <laughs> you know, they tech the tech and got it to the base. You know, congratulations. I, it, I agree. agree. Yeah. These scenes, except for the interplay outside with Han and Finn, uh, leave a lot to be desired. I'll echo what you guys said previously. Phasma completely underused. They marketed her to be quite big in the movie. At least I thought so. Well, no, I and disagree because she's not even credited. Like if you look at the posters and stuff, she's not even credited. No, okay, she's well, on so, the poster. Well, I'm, I'm not poster. sitting there reading who's credited on the poster. I'm looking well, at no, the but trailer. She's okay. on the poster, but I mean, the act, I mean, Gwendolyn Christie is, and her name's not on there. But she's also, like, effectively sold as the new, improved Boba Fett. Like, a Boba Fett that doesn't stand around and is oh, useless. Oh, she, she, standards she, is of Boba Fett. she stood up to the standards of Boba Fett. She is... She Boba did. Fett 2.0, at least in this movie. Absolutely useless and overpowered. Fuck all, yeah. Marketing and toy sales. Exactly. That's what it's about. <laughs> yeah. 100% agree, guys. But what pisses me off is I was looking forward to Gwendolyn Christie really having something of importance to do in this movie. And she didn't. And that really pissed me off. Wasn't she all in this movie. Yeah, she didn't yeah. do anything. And we talked about the great dialogue and interplay outside, but... I hated the dialogue when they got inside between Finn and Han, where he says, oh. he keeps nodding and says, oh, I'm trying to come up with a plan. Why are you nodding at me like that? Why are you <laughs> nodding at me like that? So I hated, absolutely hated that line. Terrible. Yeah. Uh, the reason where, I, where I'm going with this is I think 
while an improvement over the prequels, I think still the writing is a mixed bag in this film. Uh, that's just me. And it's shocking because this is the guy who says from Lawrence Gazin, I know how to write these characters. It's more modern movies. Yeah, some of the things that Finn said, like just how he responded, for example, like when he's cheering with Poe at the beginning, when he's like, did you see that? Did you see that? Or when he's threatening Captain Phasma, I'm the captain now. Like this is kind of how movies are okay, these days. I, I, I hear what you're saying, Andrew, and 100% agree. But you're talking about trying to create a timeless... See, the one thing is, even though the dialogue is stilted and weird in the original trilogy, it doesn't age. This is going to age. This reminds me of Rocky V. Like, some of the dialogue, <laughs> you're getting rap thrown into it and stuff like that. And that ages. Even though the movie still looks real, Rocky V. But now your choice of music, your choice of dialogue, your choice of verbiage and slang, as you're talking about cadence, that it's going to date this movie in 10 years. I don't know if you guys agree or not. I think it's seriously will have I, a harmful impact in the future. Like, there are these, I don't know about the dialogue through the entire movie, but certainly these moments here do perhaps date it ever so slightly. They date it more than Luke Skywalker's hair. <laughs> I don't think the whole movie is like this. I'm just saying when you throw in scenes, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's a mixed bag. It's not flawless. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's going to be similar to like how the Phantom Menace, how the, if you cut out certain sequences of like comments, it actually makes it a lot stronger. I can see people taking this movie in a few years and cutting out certain interactions and like, oh, now it's a much better movie. Yeah, what you're saying, Harry, I think is true for this movie. Yay, Andrew agrees. But hold on, does Jeff okay. agree? Oh, you got to get a consensus. I, I, I didn't get Jeff. Jeff, do you agree? Uh, okay, <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, go ahead, man. I do. I do agree that that's a possibility. I agree. Yeah. Okay. So now we're getting into the heart of the third act here. So we're getting because they lowered the planetary shields by forcing Phasma to do it. The resistance starts to attack, and they're the X wings are attacking to help out. Han and Chewie want to lay down some explosives. I forget the reason why, but I think they mentioned something that will help them, but that's not really important. So they go back into another section of the base to start laying it down, and Ray and Finn are helping them, but they're in a different area of that base. And then Han sees his son, Kylo Ren. They have a confrontation, and we have the immediate aftermath. So we all know what happens. Jeff, please start first. Sure. I suppose that Han Solo knew... Just because it was a walkway with no handrails that either they were both going home or neither of them was. So he knew what he was walking out there for. I mean, Adam Driver did a fantastic job here showing the conflict. I thought it was fantastic. What I loved was the lighting on his face as yeah. he's struggling with it. Sort of the slight blue on the right half of his face and the red on the left half of his face, I thought was great. It's on the nose, but it fit. And because he was so good in the role, it worked great. And Harrison Ford, I think, did a, a marvelous job in this scene as well. I mean, we all knew what was coming. I mean, we knew that this was it. He was going, he was going down. And I think he knew that he was going down, but he couldn't leave without, I mean, he promised Leia. He knew he had to do everything he could to try to bring Kylo back. And, you know, after he was, you know, stabbed with the, I, I liked how that played out. Kylo's like, I know what I have to do. I'm just not sure that I can do it. And in his mind, he's saying, like, I know I need to kill you, but I don't know that I can. And I think that how that plays to Han Solo is like, is the reverse. Like he, he doesn't know if he can come back, whereas Kylo's saying, what he's saying is, I don't know that I can stay on the dark side. So I love the duality of that wordplay there. I thought that was, that was great. And, you know, just with Han Solo, you know, reaching out to touch his son one last time before he falls was great. And, the, and I mean, the stakes are, are raised at this point. I mean, shit just got real, you know, to use the parlance of our times. 
that really hit for me. That was awesome. I don't know if I agree entirely. I mean, I think, you know, it's funny. I think for last couple of years, it was often theorized that the only reason that Harrison Ford took this role was if they agreed to kill Han Solo. And so when he looked at Ben Solo on a railless walkway, I mean, we all see this coming, which ruins it ever so slightly. I mean, I think the actors played it very well, but I feel the stakes were not truly there. I mean, I feel like Han Solo walks out there with at least the possibility that he can pull his son back from the dark side. We know that's not going to happen. So I feel like a, a better way to have played it out, not to play, you know, armchair director, but I mean, it should have been played out a way that Han Solo knew he would have walked out there and not come back or the possibility. That's how I felt. They did play it though. Like he knew he wasn't coming back. Really? I didn't feel that way at all. I I kind of, I really felt the stakes were he had, I think he had an interest in trying to bring his son back to the light side. Yeah. A concept that he doesn't quite understand, which would have been an alternative way to play it up is that he doesn't really understand the interplay between the light side and the dark side. But uh, if Mm. that was not a way to play it out, then maybe a way it could have come about is like, I have to kill my son, which would have been another alternative to him going out on that gangway there, which again, I mean, who builds something like that? I mean, come on, that is very (laughs) unsafe. To be fair, I think the original Death Star had some dubious uh, walkways. And, it did, uh, yeah. So, uh, it, yeah. There are no unions in the yeah. Star Wars universe, <laughs> no. I guess. Yeah. No. Some stormtrooper <laughs> didn't put in a safety suggestion saying, Hey, guys. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on. Like, we've had like four guys fall off this thing this week. Can we just put <laughs> one railway on one side? Can we get some magnetic boots? Something, you know? It's I, I don't know. I mean, I think again, I, I do think that the, the scene gravity boots. Yeah, <laughs> this is Klingon blood. <laughs> Only one pair. Okay, what did we talk about crossing the streams? Even though I've already done it, but I mean, that's we're gonna open up a portal here at some point. I think JJ opened I, it up for us, but that's okay. Oh boy, the scene has some emotional weight, and I did feel something when Han Solo dies. But I think there could have been better ways to play it out because there's an inevitability to the scene, but the dialogue and the character motivations don't really support what we as an audience know. And we are playing within a a movie universe where people are looking for these sorts of themes, right? So I think a lot of us, well, I don't don't know. I mean, I I really thought that Han Solo was going to die, but the scene plays out where he might not. And so the more surprising thing would have been had he not died. Those are kind of my thoughts on it. Andrew? The actors and the cinematography, like just the lighting itself, I was able to really observe it during the second viewing and it was really well done. Like you see the balance of the blue and the red light and then like they absorb all the sun and then it's completely red. Anyone who knows anything about like how much like Harrison Ford loves in quote air quotes, the Star Wars universe knew that was coming. I pretty much had assumed that Han Solo was going to be killed off, but I think kind of expanding what Nathan's talking about. Like, I understand, I think, why they had to do it. And the scene was, I believe, very well done. I don't think there was enough of a backstory between the two characters to make it as emotionally impacting as it could have been. I would have liked to have seen more of what Kylo Ren did in the past, interactions between him and Han Solo, because that's the only time that they interact in the entire movie. And so there isn't a relationship between the two besides the fact that you know he's his dad, but there's no actual interactions. I still thought the scene was very well done. 
Chewie's response was just that was backbreaking just because like he just saw his best friend killed right in front of him. The other thing, too, about the sequence is it was shown earlier in the movie, but this was more gruesome than other Star Wars movies. Like besides the immolation scene in Revenge of the Sith, Han Solo, and they showed it like getting stabbed right through the chest with a lightsaber. You see it in other sequences, like when Finn stabs the stormtrooper through his armor. Like it was fairly gruesome for it, a major character death, but I still really liked it. Yeah, it had, I, to be done. it had to be done. I'm pretty sure that was Harrison Ford's request. Lawrence Kasdan, had, we all know, had agreed back in the day that they wanted the character to die. So they finally got a chance to do it. I highly doubt Harrison Ford had interest in signing up for three Star Wars movies because there's just not enough for all the characters to be there. The rhythmic beats had to play out and this scene got me emotionally. I thought it was really well done. It even got me emotionally on the second time around, even though you knew it was coming. Props to both Adam Driver and Harrison Ford here. Really well done. As you talked about, Andrew Chewie's response is wrenching. I know he went on a tiny bit of a tear. I kind of wish he went on a little bit more. Part of me wishes like he would have gone out trying to take out Kylo as well. And then you don't have Chewie anymore. So given what we got, I thought it was really well done. So let's move on. Ray and Finn escape outside separately from Chewie. Kylo Ren notices they were there watching the scene with Han. He goes and chases them. So now we get the showdown. Ray and Finn versus Kylo Ren. Andrew, you start first. I like this fight. I know there are gripes in regards to Ray having the ability to use a lightsaber. I think she's fairly trained in combat when you see her earlier on uh, Jakku. Gosh, like you really saw like the hatred in Kylo Ren. Like granted, like, I mentioned earlier that I didn't think he was fully on the dark side, but he uses as much of the hatred as he possibly can. But you don't realize how wounded he is by Chewie's shot. Like that's a blaster shot that when you see it earlier, it knocks stormtroopers across hallways. And granted, the shot was taken from quite some distance, but you know Kylo Ren is hurt pretty bad. And I love how he really toys with Finn. And yeah, it plays out a little longer than what you'd expect. But once Finn clips him in the shoulder, that's when he's like, okay, enough is enough. Twirls this lightsaber out and slashes him up his spine. It's like, yeah, this guy's a pretty vicious character. But I like the imagery. I'm not sure if we need to necessarily jump to the end when Ray kind of spares him. I initially thought that Ray had actually lopped off his hand. Yeah, I thought um, so too. I thought that she clipped him, but on second viewing, yeah. I think she just cut off a piece of his cloak and or something like that. A, and then he has a gash on his head. A nice face. big gash on his face. So the way that it ended, yeah, it's kind of like a nice plot point from the fact that the planet's blowing up. Not much dialogue between the two, but I just like the atmosphere and the way that it did play out. Okay, Nathan. Yeah, you know what it was kind of funny was how the trailers kind of made out like this large fight scene between Ken Rilo and Finn. But really, the meat was between him and Ray. I thought that was kind of... I actually thought Finn died, to be perfectly honest, for a moment there. I thought he wasn't going to survive the movie. But again, like there's these call-outs to original movies. Like I thought when uh, she pulled the lightsaber out of the snow, that was, you know, a, a callback to Empire Strikes Back. And again, it's unclear as to... I know we've seen her fight, but the fact that she can fight so well with a lightsaber, it's strange that she can do this because we are given to believe that she has no training because it's not left ambiguous enough, I think. Uh, Aside from that problem... Overall, I think this is a great action sequence because I feel like there's some real threat to this because at the same time, like we have, even though it's, you know, a a complete ripoff of the trench run, we have a, I think a pretty good dogfighting scene with the new Porkins, by the way. We haven't talked about new Porkins. Yes, (laughs) yes. New Porkins. Um, Had to throw a new Porkins. Yeah, new 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 Porkins. 
and he made yeah. it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> he lived. The only one they really killed off was like the weird uh, long snout alien guy. Like he was the only significant one that I think they killed off. Sebulba's son. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Or Sebulba, we don't know. <laughs> well, no, but Sebulba never spoke English, though. This guy was actually mm-hmm. speaking English, if I recall. There was 30 years to learn that language. You never know. JJ could have brought him oh, back. The only nod to the prequels. I'm kidding. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> I often thought it was just more of like a mouth structure that they don't speak galactic common, as they say in the extended universe. But anyway, no, I think it's a really cool fight scene. I think it works kind of well. I did like, even though I will sometimes complain about the many throwbacks, there's the one moment where he tries to turn her to the darks. Well, not really turn her, but say you need a teacher. Right. And I think this was a very neat, even though he has no real reason to believe that she can be turned at one moment. Like it's it doesn't really play out, but I think he plays it in sort of a desperate way that it's not quite like the original trilogy where Vader is trying to call out Luke, because in those movies, Vader is he has the upper hand where this he just has her just like in a a quick moment. He's like, I have the upper hand at this moment. But there's a weird desperation in his voice. And I think that is played very well. The other thing I kind of liked was the different saber techniques, because the one thing you don't see in lightsaber battles prior to this is a thrust. And I kind of come from a guy who's done fencing and stuff like that. Oh, so you saw it. Palpatine did it. it, it, it yeah, he did having, it. Having bit, it up. I mean, it's like, yeah, it was, it, but it, it was weird and didn't play very well. Whereas no. this, there was, the other thing that was kind of neat was where they weren't doing a bunch of acrobatics, which I also appreciated, which was one of the problems I had with episode three. Half the time, they're just swinging their lightsabers like their batons. This felt like a much more deadly fight there is more desperation in this fight people are hurting you have a guy who's hurt you have people who don't really know how to use a lightsaber and the looks on their faces were much more intense like this is a life or death battle overall i thought it was this was one of the best scenes of the movie i absolutely loved this battle the setting was fantastic we haven't really seen a lightsaber we haven't seen a lightsaber battle in this setting before the forest with the snow at night i love the effects here i don't know how they did the lighting effects with the lightsabers the light playing off the actors and their surroundings i mean there was a scene there where like kylo ren's lightsaber was sort of being forced into the ground there and yeah, you could hear this the yeah. steam off oh, fuck it was great I, I love that i mean as far as the like the lack of training i mean i didn't have a problem with that i mean we're led to believe that ray i mean if she, if she doesn't have combat training she has combat experience you know she had that staff like she knows how to handle herself in hand-to-hand combat with a melee weapon so i don't think the lightsaber is too much of a stretch there and again it, and it's not a dance like the prequel fights were i, I it felt to me it, it was like a it's like a knife fight, you know, the desperation and the, the close quarters combat. I loved when they got in tight with the actors' faces to see the intensity and the desperation there. I was with it the whole way. I thought it was great. You know, as for, you know, Finn taking on Kylo, uh, I didn't get the impression that he was taking him lightly. It was just he hung in the fight for as long as he could and got defeated as he should have. And it thought it worked fine. I mean, he got cut down hard in that battle and he I mean he just he hung in there and went down and that's how it should have happened so I didn't think there was anything any I didn't have any problems with that at all I thought it was wonderfully shot I thought it was great highlight of the film for me what was good here is you know I know we're getting the 
It's intercut with X-Wing Battle. It's the only thing that kind of redeemed the Death Star callback is because there wasn't really any significance. And in A New Hope, it's all about the trench run and the drive to destroy the Death Star. And this here, it's about the lightsaber battle and, you know, destroying Starkiller Base was the B story. So that redeems it a bit for me because it didn't really matter. It was about what was happening on the surface with the three characters there. And it was done very, very well. And, then, and you know, you cut away the space battle. It all looks cool. You know, again, obviously, I think we all have the same problem with it, that it's just far too reminiscent. Because it didn't matter as much, I was okay with it. I think I agree, I'd say, mostly with all three of you. I love the setting in the snow and the forest. I love how some of the trees and the branches are being cut down as part of the fight. It was a wild fight. You mentioned, uh, Jeff, it's like a knife fight. I'd kind of put it more, it's like more of the classic medieval fight, like you can see in Game of Thrones where you have two people who are just swinging swords or three people swinging swords. They don't really know anything about technique, but I found that a bit surprising coming from Adam Driver. I know Snoke says earlier, oh, he still needs more training or bring him back for more training mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But I expected a bit more from him. I don't have a problem with Finn, even though I think he lasted a bit too long against Kylo Ren. Because now you're talking about someone who has a bit more speed and reflexes. I have a little bit of a hard time buying that Finn would be able to match up to that unless something is revealed about Finn in the future movie. So that's just a question mark for me. But yeah, he gets cut down. It doesn't last too long. What disturbs me again is coming back is I have no problem with Rey herself in terms of the combat skills. As you said, she's able to fend other people off with the staff and things like that. It's the force. So she's backed up, closes her eyes. He mentions the force. She goes, oh, the force? Closes her eyes, (laughs) opens it up. Take this, Kylo Ren. The force is in me now. It's too quick. This is a repetitive problem here with this character that she takes him out pretty easily after that. And I'm not a fan. Personally, I think that she and Finn should have barely escaped with their lives. She could have staved him off, but I think he should have had the upper hand. Instead, she won. So now I question the value of what's going to happen in the future movies because, okay, she's going to go get training from Luke or somebody else. He's going to go get training from Snoke. She defeated him or they'll be at a draw, however which way you want to look at it. They both get training. What's going to happen next time they face off? So, okay, well, maybe he'll slightly beat her. I I just feel the stakes are lessened by this decision of her winning. And the fact it came pretty easily. Again, this is coming back to the same problem I'm having with this character, even though I like her quite a bit. Regarding the X-Wing trench run, very underwhelming for me. I agree, it's just kind of in the background, not important. But idea that it's a recurring plot point ripped straightly from A New Hope is an issue here. But in the end, yeah, who cares? So let's move on because of uh, the crack in the Earth's surface because of the chain reaction from the trench run. A Starkiller base is being destroyed. The planet is crumbling. Ray and takes the unconscious Finn aboard the Falcon with Chewie because Chewie shows up on the Falcon. And they all head back. All the survivors head back to the Resistance base. Any thoughts when they arrive back at the base? I have a couple of things that interested me. Anyone want to say anything here about R2-D2, about Leia, seeing Rey, any other points? What do you guys think? I thought it was really touching, the scene between Leia and Rey, but even watching it a second time, I didn't quite get it fully. Because that's the first time she's met Rey, and so it feels like there's some connection between the two of them. And I know it's just Rey's expression of like, yeah, Han's dead, but it seemed really played out for that actual moment yeah like uh, r2d2 all of a sudden becoming awake um, and finding out the map like there's got to be something more beyond like oh it's just a great plot point i did like the sequence as they escaped the planet like the destruction of the planet was 
much more realistic than I think the explosion from the Death Star that were in the, uh, even the remastered. I like that explosion. But yeah, no, I, I still have questions about the Leia Ray thing. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I don't know. I mean, these were, you know, sort of wrap up scenes. I did not really like the fact that R2 just conveniently wakes up from his low power boat. The scenes with Leia and Ray, yeah, it's kind of weird. Again, we'll get into this after, sort of, you know, during the wrap up, I guess, but not really necessary. But also, they don't quite have the weight because we sort of did not really talk about the scene where Leia feels, obviously, because she still has some connection to the Force. She feels the death of Han, but when Ray comes back, it's weird because the scene is played out as though there's this emotional weight to it but i didn't really feel it again these are just kind of wrap-up scenes and it's weird because like okay well the movie's over but we're still going we're going we're going it's just a connector scene that didn't really have any emotion for me i think i have the same thing to say just it's uh just a little bit of connective tissue between this between what happened before and what's coming nothing here r2 wakes up for no reason and Oh, where we go. Okay, but, you know, we don't have to talk about it in great detail, but I don't like this scene at all. Like, the whole them coming back to the base. I know we're getting into nitpick territory here, but you directly see a scene where Chewie walks right past Leia. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and they don't, right even, they don't even acknowledge each other and Han is dead. Yeah. Are you kidding me? This is just a simple little thing. It doesn't ruin the movie, but it's just like, I'm not saying J.J. and Kasdan don't understand the characters, but then you're meeting two strangers, Leia and Rey. So, yeah, we could maybe speculate, does Leia know something about Ray and she doesn't say anything? So maybe, but I, I think this is very a, strange. more of an editing problem. I have a hard time believing that they didn't at least write a scene or and, and film a scene. I imagine that there is something just missing here that they had to cut out for time. Is maybe, what it but is. the end result still tells me what I'm seeing. I so. agree. Like, it is dumb. It's very dumb because we're supposed to try and deal with the death of a major beloved character between an old character that we're not really feeling a lot of connection to, to a new character who had no real connection to that character Meanwhile, marginalizing <coughs> the, the big best friend yeah. of that character. And I the wife. Well, yeah, exactly. It's kind of strange. And I, I remember when I saw this, I'm like, okay, we're going to get another scene with Lynch. Like, oh, no, we're not. Okay, we're moving on. Okay, sure. I suspect there is a deleted scene, but it's weird because it doesn't really have the weight that it needs it. It's just like, okay, moving on, moving yeah. on. Yeah, as you guys mentioned, this R2 business, again, I think that's really contrived mediates. I don't understand why he just wakes up without... And that is putting it nicely. Yes, this is a terrible story point here. Of all the convenience currency that has been spent on this movie, I mean, they are... Now, we're in convenience credit territory now at this point. <laughs> yeah, we are. Yeah, I think it would have made more sense that like BB-8, that's the first time they interact. R2-D2 picks up the other part of the map and then displays it saying it's like, okay, now it's all completed. Or like they can BB-8. have a sexual moment. They plug into each other like Avatar. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that's, that's weird because... I always kind of thought that BB-8 was the child of C-3PO and R2-D2, to be honest. (laughs) Or something along those lines. Like something to alert R2 that, okay, the other missing piece is here, and then he wakes up. Instead, he just randomly wakes up. But also they make a big deal about the fact that the map that BB-8 has, it's like, well, this doesn't fit any known maps. Well, it seemed to fit that jigsaw that R2 had. Absolutely perfect. So why even have that line? It was so dumb. I mean, ugh. 
It, no, it, it was totally unnecessarily. It is so jarring, though, because it is so obvious. Like, okay, we're at the end of the movie. We've got to wrap shit up. Ugh. This whole scene, I don't know what's more insulting, the R2 storyline or the fact that they don't really acknowledge Han's death with the characters that love him the most. You know, I'm not asking for like a 10 minute scene to, to mourn and discuss him. You got like what a two second scene of Chewie kind of mourning or being depressed. And that's it. Leia is more like, eh, what are you going to do? So drop the ball there, in my opinion. So obviously, 3PO figures out that the map is complete. It leads to Luke. So Leia sends Ray. Uh, and Chewie and R2-D2 to go find Luke. They arrive at this unknown planet, island surrounded by water. This is the Skellig Island location that they were filming at. Slabs up the stairs, sees a hooded figure, turns around, it's Luke Skywalker. She hands him the Ooh, lightsaber. shit, that was Luke Skywalker? thought that was Old Ben. <laughs> <laughs> old Ben, yes. <laughs> and you could see Luke has some issues. He seems a bit scarred uh, emotionally or just sitting up there and doesn't acknowledge her, doesn't even say a word to her or to the audience. He's just there. Jeff, go. Thoughts? My first thought when I saw this was, I'm going to have to get up, cross the aisle, and give Harry CPR because Mark Hamill did not utter a single line. And only had, <laughs> I was like, shit, Harry's dead. He's dead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I at first, I mean, I was disappointed. I'm like, oh, see something. I don't need to. He doesn't speak. I'm like, damn it. But obviously, he's going to have a bigger role later, so I'm okay with it. God damn, didn't Mark Hamill look amazing, though? He did. With the beard and the hair, oh, he looked fantastic. It's I'm awesome. not a fan of the robes, like the costume choice there, but. He looked two, good, though. He looked good. I think the color scheme was a bit off, in my opinion. But well, that's they, okay. That's the a, Jedi that's a like their earthy beige yeah. tones, though. Do they? Yeah. Do they not? Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying he needs to be dressed in black. I'm just saying, like before, he had a brown robe and something else. So maybe it could have been a bit more interesting. I think he needs to stop shopping where he shopped. No more JC Penny. Let's go somewhere else, right? So, but I like that his robes are kind of frayed around the edges, though. They were kind of rough yeah. in the same way that Obi Wan's were in in A New Hope. Yeah. I, yeah. So he's but been there a long time. Yeah, he's been there a long time. So I, I just thought it was a good choice. I thought he looked good. Ah, oh, man, I was just like, ah, God damn it. Now i got to wait for the next one, you know, before I actually figure out what the fuck is going on here. And uh, I guess that's a good thing. You know, the anticipation's still there. So one of the things I liked was when Ray and Chewie were getting into the Millennium Falcon there. And it kind of felt like, oh, this could be a really neat, cool partnership, the two of them. And because I, I was like, okay, are they going to go find Luke Skywalker? I swear to God, I immediately thought, okay, the movie is going to end with Luke saying, I am your father. Because I felt they're really playing hard the idea that she might be the child of Luke Skywalker. Mark Hamill looked great. Love the beard. I don't know who said it. Jeff, was it your significant other who said, okay, did he build all those steps? How long was he there for? Did he do all that himself? Isn't that the first Jedi temple, though? You would assume so, yeah. That's yeah. what I assumed. Or he's mean, he's, a, he can use the force to build the steps. Like how well, hard some would that guys, be? Sometimes you see him lift some, some rocks. I mean, he can lift. He can lift stones. You know, yeah, he's, we've he's all okay. been in a spot where you, you, sometimes you need a summer project. Right. <laughs> so, he had many years. Despite that he did not have a bigger role in the movie, I do like the way the movie ended. I do have to say the the, the large spin around. The helicopter panoramic shot? Yeah. Yeah. Because well, you know it's done with a helicopter. Well, these days they do it with a drone, I guess. Well, okay. Yeah, it kind of kills me that we don't really, we don't truly learn the secret of Ray. 
maybe that can be the uh, the title of the next movie, The Secret of Ray. But it was kind of a weird, the pacing of the ending of this movie was a little off because we had a large crescendo and then we played down and then we played down a little bit more and then we play up and we kind of played down and out. So it was a little more, I don't know how other, another way you could have played it, but the pacing felt a little bit off, helicopter shot or otherwise. But that beard was great. With one scene, and I, I just read an article today, and they're talking about how they were trying to fit Luke in for a little bit more within this movie, but every single time they put him in anywhere, it just felt like he took away from any of the characters that were present, or it just it took away from the feel. And I can see why, because we all want to see Luke Skywalker. But the moment where she pulls out his lightsaber or Anakin's, depending upon how you look at it, and the look on his face, like there's a look of pain on both of their faces that it's like, like not Mark- this thing again. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what he was pissed about. I was glad I Mark- lost that thing. And I think Mark Hamill doesn't get enough credit for his acting capabilities, but that one look, and you can see him well up a little bit. Like you can tell that Luke Great Skywalker, point. he's gone through hell and back. She doesn't want this lightsaber. Like, she didn't want it to begin with, and it's caused her pain. You can sense the emotion, and I can't wait. I know it's going to be a lot more than likely like Empire, like the relationship of of Yoda and Luke. But I thought it was a perfect way to end it because the audience wanted Luke. They got Luke. They just have to wait a little bit longer. Okay. So, yeah, it's a great scene. Jeff, uh, I didn't have a heart attack because I knew this spoiler really good. I didn't know that he wouldn't say a word. Rumor had it for a very, very long time. We're talking about maybe a year that just based on his shooting schedule, that he probably was in the film for less than a minute. Diehard weirdos tracked his movements between that island location, Pinewood, and his home in California. That's creepy. That's creepy. Yeah. You're welcome. Guys, you're welcome. I did all. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Nathan. (laughs) Yeah, they figured out that he was maybe there for only a couple of weeks. So couple of weeks of shooting probably means very minimal screen time. And yeah, so I wasn't shocked at all. I mean, I was very disappointed he didn't say one word or even hold out his hand or do something. Like, he just kind of sat there. And Yeah, Luke's probably been through some shit. I have to find out what happens. But what pisses me off is that you have to serve the story first. 100% agree. But we can get into this now. So two things that bug me. If Luke has gone away because he feels he's a failure, is that the character of Luke Skywalker? That might be the character that J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan want him to be now. But does that service the character who fought through everything, who didn't give up on anything or his father, who was different than Obi-Wan and Yoda, as we talked about before? Is that service the character here, if that's the reason why he left? Now, okay, he went to go find the Jedi Temple, if that's the reason. He's allowing the whole galaxy of the First Order to kind of just spread and all this evil shit happening. He wasn't there for his friends. So I know they're kind of between a rock and a hard place because if Luke's there, then Han probably will die, right? But it just irks me a little bit. I feel that you're backtracking the character. I wish there was maybe something else to it. Like he had to be there because maybe they'll get into it. He had to be there because maybe Snoke was there or they needed that place or something along those lines. Maybe we'll find out what it is. I don't know. But from the look on his face, it looks like he is emotionally wrecked. I doubt that's going to be the reason. He doesn't look like he's serving a purpose there. He looks like he's retreated. And, you know, it's like Yoda at the end of the Reg of the Sith, you know, a draw with Palpatine. A fear I have. Into hiding, I must go. So, <laughs> But that's the failure of that Jedi Order. That's not the failure of Luke. So now you're, he has the same failures. I have a problem with that if that's, 
where they're going. And then the fact that you did, you're doing a sequel trilogy, you managed to get all three people, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Mark Hamill together. They didn't have one scene, even a flashback scene, something that yeah. disappointed. You could have done yeah. something there. But I like the scene between Ray and Luke. I did like the panoramic shot with the drone. Why don't we get into the score now? Uh, before we get into our final thoughts of the movie. For, I'll start first. For, aside from maybe Ray's theme, which is decent, I wouldn't say it's memorable. I found the score very underwhelming. What do you guys think? What uh, score? I don't okay. remember a score to this movie. Uh, and the funny thing is, it's been released on YouTube. I've listened to it. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. This, legally. So uh, I, I don't know. know. I the score was, was terrible. It's not that it's bad. Like, it's still a good score no, yeah, but in comparison, it, it, it but is as a Star a Wars huge, story, it's a letdown. It's a rehash, really. I mean, uh, the only time I recognized the score was when they replayed scores that we know, right? Uh, okay, Leia but, and yeah. Hans, the the traditional Star Wars. Like there was nothing new. There was no, no, no there was new. It, fates, it's a lot new no. shit that hit you. You're partially right, but I think most of fans that go on the internet are saying the same thing. They're disappointed in the score. The only things that they remember are the cues from the old tracks. You know, we're expected to hear the Force theme again, for sure, right? No problems there with some cues that are, are, are being repeated, even though I mentioned before I was curious that Finn was getting specifically Luke's theme, not the Force theme. Luke has a slightly different theme than the Force theme. John Williams did record about 85 to 90% new material. Brand new. It's in the soundtrack. I listened to it. It's just not as memorable. Nathan, you mentioned something. Uh, Jeff, your thoughts on this? It's just not that memorable. It's fine. Like, it's good. I mean, if you wanted to stack this up against the score for, say, your average Marvel movie, you know, just because we're talking about big blockbusters from Disney, better than all of the Marvel scores. It's better than the scores for probably most, not every other movie that still goes to an orchestral score. But to John Williams' standards, it is unfortunately a bit forgettable. Uh, surprising that, we we yeah, did our first surprising. podcast and we said this was the guarantee we're gonna get a beautiful awesome fucking new score for star wars yeah and yeah, it didn't yeah. happen i'm shocked i was shocked ah man it's disappointing isn't it i mean it's just a it's a shame i mean i mean john williams been around for a long time i think, I think he's 83 years old now i mean you only have so much gas left in the tank i mean credit to him that he's he, he can still do it he's just out of gas a little bit I'm going to bring up something that happened a couple of years ago. My brother got married, and while I was out in Calgary, tickets for John Williams in concert got released in San Francisco, and I instantly snagged them up, not knowing that I'd have to leave the trip back for my brother's wedding a day earlier. And I still did it because it's John freaking Williams, and he is just so unbelievable when it comes to scoring music. And, and Andrew, the, the next sound- time the next time you notice this, please tell me. Yeah. I'll join you. I want to see John Williams. <laughs> it was last minute. It was just it was, I've been trying to get tickets for a long time. But a couple hours before I saw the movie on Thursday, it got released. And so I downloaded it to my phone. I started listening to it. I got about a minute in. I'm like, no, I can't listen to this, thinking that it was going to reveal something. And I'm big with scores. But I keep listening to it over and over and over again. And you guys are right. It's like it's better than your average score, but there's nothing that stands out. There's nothing that is going to distinguish this movie from the other Star Wars movies. Like each Star Wars film has a unique theme. You've got Duel of the Fates. You've got the love theme. You've got the Anakin Obi-Wan fight from episode three. Like there's always this distinctive theme. And Raised is very nice, but there's nothing that's really powerful and when i first watched it i wasn't sure if it was the theater or if it was the score but i could barely hear the music throughout the duration of the movie 
Yeah. It was a little bit of a letdown from John Williams, but I'm wondering if that was on purpose. Like, I'm wondering if that's the direction he got from JJ to prevent it from overshadowing the movie. I don't know, but it's just it's uh, very that's blasphemy. I doubt JJ I doubt would have given that direction. But it's very uncharacteristic of a John Williams score. Okay, that's so, why I'm a little surprised. I don't think this happened. I think more. I agree with Jeff. I think John Williams has just run gas. There's only so many new themes you could conjure up. But do you think the way, and we'll get into JJ's direction next. Do you think that J.J. in his frantic pace, and he didn't really allow a lot of breathing room, do you think that John Williams wasn't able to get inspired enough to provide themes needed for this movie? That's a stretch. I know. I, stretch. I think the only reason why I think that isn't right, Harry, is because the themes in the other films are largely tied to the characters, and the characters are well-drawn here. That's why I don't think that that could be the case. I think that you know, because he's taking inspiration with the characters that they, because they're good characters, he would have been able to find that inspiration there. That's what I think. I mostly agree with you, Jeff. I don't think that's the case. The original trilogy, and you can definitely agree, as poor or as mixed as the prequel trilogy is, they're space operas. This movie didn't have an operatic feel to it. It didn't feel like a fairy tale. Do you think that feeling impacted John Williams coming up with some themes? I don't know. I'm just saying it's a possibility. Because that's my feeling. I, I feel this yeah. movie is good, but I feel there's still, regardless of the rehashes or something like that, I think there's something about this movie that doesn't feel like the other ones. We're modernizing it. I get what's going on here. It's done on purpose. That's also JJ's style, but that may have impacted the score. I don't know. We don't know how John Williams ticks. You don't need themes to really delve into really you know, bombastic action pieces here. I still felt the action, like we talked going back to the, say, the TIE Fighter chase. With the Millennium Falcon, I, I'm not saying I need the asteroid belt kind of music or as high pitch or high tempo as that, but there was just that oomph missing. Yep. I, I don't know. That's just me. I mean, that's uh, an interesting actually, idea. Harry, I, no, I, I kind of agree with Harry. Like the way you explain it sort of makes sense to me. I mean, Jeff, I agree to your, to your point that these characters are so well drawn that why wouldn't they have their own themes? But things happen so fast in, in this movie that I'm not even really sure where you would, other than with the exception of Ray. I don't even really know where you would inject a character theme at any point. J.J. Like, Abrams, I'm sure he just went to John Williams, say, here's the movie, make a score. I'm sure that's how these things go down, right? I mean, it's so hard to kind of know the inner work, because part of this, too, is is sort of the, the inner workings of making a movie, right? So it's sort of hard to say the mind of, I mean... This is just like the the craft of film. It could have just been John Williams. Maybe he really was not inspired by any of these characters. Maybe he really truly is just old. Maybe John Williams died five years ago, and now it's just some <laughs> deep learning algorithm making John Williams music at this point. Who the hell knows? Just a little bummed. I'm going to keep listening to it to convince myself that perhaps it's a little bit better than it is. Just expect it more. Yeah. No, I don't have anything else to say on the score. Kind okay. of a shame, but... Yeah, kind of a shame. Okay, so gentlemen, let's get to J.J. Abrams and Lawrence Kasdan. Did they do it? Did they get these characters down? Did J.J. capture the feel of the original trilogy, which was his intention? Did they get the performances out of all the characters? Did it work? Andrew, you go first. Jerk. <laughs> it's all on you, Andrew. All on you. As much as we've been negative about the movie, I think we've been nitpicking to a certain degree, and I really think he brought the spirit of a new hope. It is a new generation. It is a new generation of moviegoers. But 
coming out of that movie theater, like I haven't had that type of smile on my face in a long time. And yeah, things were rehashed. But what I really liked was the character development and the interactions between the main characters. And that is a nice breath of fresh air into the, the Star Wars franchise that hasn't been there since Return of the Jedi. And I really think they were able to capture the spirit of the characters. Like, I love Poe Dameron, but I think the best performance of the movie, Daisy Ridley was fantastic, as well as John Boyega. Both the franchise is in good hands. But for me, the standout performance, and I think this really shows that J.J. knows Star Wars better than Star Trek, was Harrison Ford as Han Solo. Like, I thought he played that character beautifully in regards to how... Like, basically, it was Harrison Ford as Han Solo, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Like, it was Han Solo 30 years later, but it was believable and passed the torch very, very well. But I think that was one of Harrison Ford's best performances that I can remember. I really liked what they did with the movie. Yeah, there are some gaping plot holes. There's gaping plot holes with most of the Star Wars movies, with the exception of Empire. But I think they really brought life back into the franchise that, of course, the franchise was never dead. Everyone loves it for the most part. But it started off this new trilogy in a really really good way and leaves the questions that we need answered unanswered for good reason so i I love what they did and it was very very well done so he did it he hit it out of the park i think so okay awesome nathan jj and kazan reach across the screen and fucking jerked me a good one that's what they (laughs) did with this movie Yeah, I love this movie. It's not a perfect film. I mean, one of the things that I can, you know, identify more the plot holes with this than the original trilogy, just because, you know, I see this now as an adult and the original trilogy, it's so hard for me to distance myself from my emotions with that. But they really pulled it off. Other than me, they really pulled it off. I think it is a worthy, not just a good sequel to Return of the Jedi, it is a worthy successor to the star wars franchise in general okay yeah i'll try not to give away my final thoughts on the film did kasdan and abrams succeed here did they pull it off yes i think that they did pull it off here the characters are the main strength the the new cast is where the movie shines uh, certainly, you know, some structural problems. I agree with Andrew that that Harrison Ford, this is probably Harrison Ford's most spirited performance in many, many, many years. And I was actually very surprised at that because, you know, as we know, he wasn't a huge fan of where Han Solo ended, like the character arc ended in Return of the Jedi. He didn't have much to do in Return of the Jedi. And we know he was pretty vocal with his criticism there. To see him really get back into the character here was very nice to see. I was very happy with that. You know, as Harry, you intimated before, and it's probably true, he, you know, he demanded, in order to participate in the movie, he demanded certain things in order to be included, uh, probably a larger role, the death scene, but that uh, seemed to serve the story well. So yeah, I I think largely it's a success. I agree, even though I'm not the biggest fan of J.J. Abrams, you guys are right. He brought out the performances. It was well-casted in terms of bringing out the performances that were required. I think J.J. accomplished that. He hit a home run with that. I'm not going to give too much credit to J.J. in terms of bringing back the obvious choice of physical sets. I'm glad they went that way, but it was just an obvious direction. Any director would have said... Prequels didn't do this. We got to do this because that's what the we need to do this. It's the right decision. Aside from bringing out their character performances, which he deserves all of the credit in the world for, his style of directing, you know, a lot of people claim that Lucas is just saying faster and more intense. <laughs> is J.J. not fastest and more yeah. most intensely? Yeah. So I find it kind of ironic that 
all the whiters of the bitches of the prequel trilogy of George Lucas saying that's all he cares about. I think JJ's worse. He doesn't allow the characters to breathe, in my opinion. Not enough. He does it sometimes, but not enough. And I'm actually very happy he's not going to be moving on as a director for the next one because like Empire, that's going to be a character-driven story. I'm sure they're going to have very similar rhythmic beats and you need a better director to bring some of those performances out and allow the movie to breathe. But technically, he's very proficient. There's still something off. Like, I know he's modernizing it for the new generation, but it's just a little too glossy, a little too shiny. I'm surprised that Lawrence Kasdan also, they wrote a lot of the dialogue well. But again, as you talked about modern cadence, it took me out of the film a little bit. And I still think the dialogue was not bulletproof. Still a lot of weak points there. But for both of them, it was a competent job. It lays a foundation for what will come next. And I think this movie will allow new fans to come in, even though I have a lot of gripes with the rehash and the riffs from the original trilogy, especially A New Hope. I think for the most part, they did a competent job, but it was a fun ride. Anyone else want to talk about the direction or the writing? Or should we get to our final thoughts uh, here? I do want to make a point on the direction, Harry, and because I, I did want to make this point in our previous episodes, didn't really get a chance, but I thought that and it's maybe less a comment on the direction and more on the cinematography, but you know, George Lucas, his style was he would put the camera in the right place and he likes to get tight on his actors in certain scenes, which is a credit to him, especially his action scenes, he likes to get tight on the actors to raise the stakes. But So George would kind of find the right place to put the camera and then let interesting things happen in the frame. And modern filmmaking is all like, you know, very dynamic camera moves and quick cuts. And I thought, and JJ's done that, but I thought what he did here was very similar to George's style. I mean, he had a little bit more kinetic camera moves at certain points, but a lot of what JJ did was similar to George's style, where the camera was just in the right spot and he let good things happen in the frame. So I thought that was a credit to JJ. He kind of backed off of his own tendencies to, you know, move the camera around and do all that kind of stuff and just sort of let the movie tell its own story as opposed to too much interference from camera. That's good. I agree. Yeah, with that no, I, I kind of agree with Jeff there too, you know, and I think the other thing, as far as the overall writing and the dialogue, the moments where the dialogue comes across as a little bit too modern, I don't think it hits you in the face too much. There's a few scenes where it does, but the dialogue feels more natural in a way that the, uh, well, certainly the prequel trilogy does not. But I think this is just sort of a natural evolution of just films that you just kind of have to live with unfortunately yeah and again like i think there's sort of a weird emotional attachment to the original trilogy where we kind of say okay the dialogue and the scenes the way everything plays out is timeless we say that as people have grown up and have watched these movies countless times where i think there's really only a handful of scenes that don't i think the the scene between finn and han solo with finn kind of like you know why are you not like that that is the worst scene as far as dialogue and the one that won't hold up but i mean overall i think they did a pretty good job as far as giving us uh scenes and dialogue that will stand the test of time andrew any final thoughts no i think you guys have really spoken to it i was happy okay excellent okay so gents Time to wrap this sucker up. So, Andrew, final thoughts on The Force Awakens? 
Do you recommend it? And do you have to rank it? Where does it rank in the saga for you? This is an easy one. Absolutely, I'd recommend it. I've seen it twice already. I'm seeing it a third time on Tuesday. I think I'm going to see it a fourth time when I'm back in Calgary. The best way to put it is Star Wars is back. I'm really happy with what they've done. I think it's a perfect tribute to the original trilogy that brought in the elements that needed to. I think the fan service was necessary in certain elements. Like, yeah, they brought back characters. But for me, they wanted to show the Star Wars fan base that Star Wars is in good hands. And this was a perfect way to show that. There's a lot that still needs to be answered. And I can't wait to see what they do in the next two movies. But it's back. And I absolutely will recommend it to everyone. I can't wait to be able to talk about this openly once everyone sees this movie. As it falls within my favorite movies, this falls right behind Empire. So it goes. Okay, that's good. That's good. So JJ did it for you. So Nathan. A hundred percent recommend this. I think where it falls sort of in my favorite, I still think the original trilogy is still, I'm still like a five, four, six, and then seven, then whatever else comes after it. Who fucking cares? And the only one thing that I, the final thought I sort of have on the movie overall is I really wish we had more Captain Phasma because I think they kind of undercut her character a little bit. I kind of want to go and run out and see this movie again right away. Anybody give me a call. I'll go see it with you this week. (laughs) I'm thinking of going Um, tomorrow, actually. So we can pencil it. Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. Well, we'll talk after. I think this is a worthy successor. It is a great start. This is what episode one should have been as far as energy and excitement. I'm going to cross the streams again as Bruce Greenwood's Christopher Pike said at the end of Star Trek. I am relieved. This (laughs) (laughs) Just a huge sigh of relief for me, as I mentioned earlier on. This movie has its problems. There's no question. The structural reliance on A New Hope is a problem. The Starkiller base stuff is a big problem. And that's a damn shame that they couldn't find something more original and better. But goddamn, I didn't love this fucking movie to death, man. I mean, shit, it comes down to how good the characters were, really. I mean, that's really what it hinges on. I loved them. The action scenes were great. It was very much a Star Wars movie to me. Was it as much of an operatic experience as Harry, as you alluded to? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, this is a recommend for me, 100%. Where does it rank among all the films? For me, It same as Nathan, it is behind the original trilogy in its entirety, uh, 4, 5, and 6. In whichever order they change for me, Episode 7 sits behind them, but it's close and much, much better than any of the prequel films, for sure. Okay, I agree with you guys partially. I know we're looking at it in terms of Star Wars is back. There's that level of excitement and anticipation of what's coming next. I am very excited what's coming next. JJ and Kasdan did a good job to kick this off. And I, and as we talked about and alluded to, they had to kick it off for a new audience as well. So for all the great character performances that JJ was able to do in bringing back that aesthetic, I still felt that there's still something missing here. I really can't put my finger on what, but what really bugs me is even though it's, it's nitpicking, Characters is one aspect of a movie, but story, with the exception of dealing with Han Solo and getting Rey to Luke, I really feel the story left a lot to be desired. I wasn't really happy with all the callbacks. We talked about the currency. It ran out for me in the first act, and I had a problem moving forward, even though I still enjoyed a lot of the scenes that were still coming. But I did enjoy the energy. I did enjoy some of the humor. thought it got a bit too jokey. I think that Kasdan still didn't, even though 
his claim to fame is I know how to write Han Solo. I still think some of his Han Solo lines were to me are not didn't sound like Han Solo, but the character performances were there. Harrison Ford was great. But then I also have to look at the score. The score was underwhelming. So where do I rank this movie and do I recommend it? So recommend. I had fun. Recommend anyone to go see this for sure. But at this point, I it's a weak recommend. It's not a strong one. It's just good enough to get where we really needed to go. It's kind of like Attack of the Clones in a sense. So it's like it was good enough for us to get Anakin and Padme together, but I'm really interested in what's coming next. And I have the same feeling here. So I agree. I rank the original trilogy still way above this one. I think this one's better than Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith because those are just too problematic. But I like The Phantom Menace better than this one. Just on first few days of looking at it, I have to... I think all of us here, we all knee-jerk our rankings. And, you know, we talked about how, Jeff, you loved Attack of the Clones initially and then kind of fell out of your favor eventually when you got... I have to see where this is going to go for me to really judge this movie, but just on a first pass, I think just the references and the the reverence for the original material, you know, just like Superman Returns is a negative aspect for me. It's hard for me to praise it any further than that, but I'm excited that Star Wars is back. I'm a parent now, and I'm excited that my kids will get to experience Star Wars soon. So for that, I think Disney and company did a competent job, and I'm happy. That's it. So one last question, though. Sure. I think we all have to answer this. Is Ray? Luke Skywalker's daughter. Let's go around. If you're just asking yes or no, that's that's not fair because we got to talk about shit. If it's yes, and I think we're led to believe so, I mean, that brings up some story issues that need to be resolved as, i.e., who is her mother. I had the quick thought, and I don't know why it had jumped into my brain, that she might be Obi-Wan's uh, uh, granddaughter. That's, that's my thoughts, I, too. Is I that think, really your thoughts? I, I think there's no accident that they got Ewan McGregor to come back and say yeah. some lines from the Force. Because I didn't know that. As soon as you said that, I'm like, huh, now that is interesting. Actually, here's my thoughts. I think she's a cross between, I think she might be Luke's daughter, but maybe Luke married a Kenobi. Oh, that's not together with a Kenobi, so she's a Kenobi Skywalker offspring. That's a little too fanboyish. I think they're yeah. going to make it simple. She's either going to be... Luke's kid or not. But I'm going to stick with my early instinct here is she's Obi-Wan Kenobi's granddaughter, even though that makes absolutely no sense. No, it doesn't make a lot. No, no, no. Or perhaps the midichlorians were so high in Luke, he gave birth to (laughs) Rey. But we are led to believe that her lineage is important, though. Yes. Yes. But I thought it's 30 seconds are up, gentlemen. 30 seconds are up. Andrew. (laughs) Wow. Uh, I think she's a Skywalker. I'm still torn between whether or not she's Luke's kid or somehow the child of Leia and Han that they don't necessarily either of them know about. That's weird. Yeah. And that's what I was thinking going into the movie. But it's looking more and more likely that she's Luke's child since this is the saga is about the Skywalkers. My preference would be that, but who knows? It's going to be interesting. We'll see. So that does it for today's episode. Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Gentlemen, we are finally... We finally finished not just this podcast, but the lead up to it. So it's been a fun ride looking back at the originals and the prequels. So, Jeff, do you have what's in store for us next? I do have what's in store for us next. We are going to the bizarre, the strange Terry Gilliam's Brazil. Oh, I thought you were going to say Simon Pegg something, but okay. (laughs) Okay. I much prefer prefer Brazil. That sounds interesting. I've never seen it, so it should be a fun one. Okay, gentlemen, that does it for today's episode. Thank you very much for participating. It was a fun ride. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Harry. No worries. Jeff, I'll see you on the other side. All right, buddy. All right, cheers. Take care, guys. Thank you.
Mark? Oh, I'm sorry, I have dialogue? <laughs>